We're live. Welcome, guys, to another episode of Muslim Point of View Podcast. Really, really excited to have you guys here. Today, we have two peeps, aside from myself, who are going to be on the panel. we got Mr. Abdullah Habib, recurring co-host over here, and Danielle, our first actual guest in the studio. Really, really excited to have you here, Danielle. Uh, really excited to have you here for this episode and kind of just, uh, you know, hear your hear your perspective as a Muslim about some of these uh, issues and current topics. Um, all right. So without further ado, let's jump right into it because we do have quite a lot to cover. Um, the World Economic Forum, Davos 2024, uh, happened uh, over the last weekend or two weekends ago or something like that. Uh, and a lot, a lot of stories have come out from it since then. Uh, so there are a few things that we're definitely going to go over with regards to that. Um, so Abdullah, I don't know if you want to take it away and start with it. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we're going to start with for today's uh, podcast. Yeah, sure thing. Let me uh, start up with the first story I came across. One sec here. It's a, it's a one minute clip, but I think it's worth... Uh sharing and for the you folks at home just to contextualize right the world economic forum is a forum that takes place quite often i think i think it's biannually if not annually um and essentially there's a few things that uh get discussed from politics to just economy overall uh some technology anyways a, a variety of subjects for sure yeah i think this year there were actually four core themes that they had uh one of the themes was uh, corporate security and overall infrastructure. The other one was, uh, I believe, job growth and overall growth in the economy. Uh, then, of course, there was uh, labor changes and artificial intelligence and the role that that's going to play. And uh, the last one was, I believe, uh, a strategy moving forward for climate change and energy consumption. Those are the four themes that they had uh, that, that they were looking to discuss. Awesome stuff. So, All right, yo, so uh, but before we go forward, um... Ager. By the way, I call I like to call Daniel Ager because yeah. long time long time friend. His last name is Aga, so I call him Ager. But what are <laughs> what's your perspective on what the World Economic Forum is? Because I have my own, and I'm very like, especially since I've been on X recently, a very very conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Driven. But I'm gonna assume that you're not reading the same stuff I am. We're not in this echo chamber. But what's your impressions of what World Economic Forum is? Especially because you mentioned the four things. Yeah, so I guess my understanding of it, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm coming from the surface level understanding of it, is that it's effectively, um, I believe it's a week-long seminar, week-long uh, kind of working session for leaders of both governments, companies, uh, academic, in various industries coming together and discussing core themes and trying to find a way to move forward or to push the needle. Um, that's my understanding of it. Um, that's the layman understanding that I have. Um, and those are the core themes that I understood of it. So, so your understanding is, um, like they're out to do good things and, you know, push the world forward. Exactly. Yeah. To, to whatever extent they can. Uh, again, I don't think the actual body itself has any, uh, authority or power. I, I think it's all taken from external, right? So it's just a forum in the sense that people come together and they exchange ideas and then they all take back from different people. So there isn't like a specific, you know, World Economic Forum uh, president, maybe there is just as for organizational purposes, but there isn't like this association is going to make an impact. It's more, let's bring people together, share opinions, and then everyone goes back with 
what they've learned or what they've taken away from this this one week. Uh, okay. Gotcha. That's my yeah, understanding. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of conspiracy theories around this yeah. stuff, and like these and, guys. And of course, I, I think in any place or in any kind of environment where you're getting so much uh, political, economic, and and overall like power kind of merging in one area, um, I, I can imagine that there are other kind of backdoor dealings or understandings that happen in these types of yeah. environments, just because of the nature of how much authority and how much impact is, you know, in one space. This is what it was in Davos, Davos, Switzerland, like yeah. it's a small, like, you know, like, like, like a skiing town, you know, and now you have like world leaders and CEOs and presidents all coming together to, to, to have discussions. So I'm sure there's uh, other things that are discussed, but from my understanding, it's everyone comes together, shares ideas, kumbaya, and, and goes home. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> funny enough, so Davos and the work, the WEF, they're the same thing? It's just Davos is like the spot? It's, uh, yeah, Davos it's the year. Exactly. Like every year, it's it's got its own location. It, its, it's own like, a, it's, I don't know, from my understanding, it's like, you know, Tokyo 2020. Yeah, it's basically. Olympics, right? So this year it's Davos is, is, you know, like, so Abdul, you might've seen maybe on LinkedIn, everyone is talking about like Davos or like, there's always someone talking about this. It, it is basically, they're just talking about like Davos 2024, as in it, that's where the world economic forum just was, um, as, as the location. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let me start with, um, uh, by sharing this one thing. And again, like, I really like some of the theories I'm seeing, but, but I, I like your perspective. Let me know when you guys see my screen. Yeah, it's loading right now. All right, I think you're good to start. Hey, can you see it? Uh, not yet, but it, it's loading. All right, cool. I'll just play the audio and then I'll catch up soon. Yeah. Word is becoming more, it's becoming better known around the world. And the concept is generally mass damage and destruction of nature. Um, but legally speaking, um, what our organization and other collaborators aim to do is to have this recognized legally as a serious crime. Because one of the issues that sort of pervades all of this discussion is that we have a kind of cultural, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. Um, and that's I mean, if you're campaigning for human rights, at least you know mass murder, torture, all of these things are serious crimes. But there's no equivalent in the environmental space. Um, and so, and, and you know, unlike a, an international crime like genocide that in, involves a specific intent, with ecocide, what we see is actually what people are trying to do, what businesses are trying to do is make money, is, you know, is farm, is fish, is do all of these things that are... Um, you know, producing energy and so on um, as well. But what's, it, what's missing is the awareness and the conscience around the side effects, around the collateral damage that happens with that. Hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, I understand where she was coming from, but I, I, I was having a very hard time not drawing parallels to other things that are happening in this world right now. Uh, but yeah, your thoughts on that, Abu? What what was it that you wanted to share with regards to this video? Uh, some of the theories I heard. So this was like one of the first steps to, and I think they discussed this at WEF. I'll have to confirm. But one of the things they discussed was how they want um, to impose laws where you can no longer hunt um, and like pretty much cultivate the land that you own. So if you own land, let's say you own like a ranch or you own, I don't know, man, like a ton of whatever you can't hunt right. the animals there anymore that's one of the that's one of the big things they want to push and uh 
yeah, just something like that for me. I don't think it's a good stepping stone or it's not a good, at least in Canada, man, we're always like two steps ahead for yeah. some of these uh, softer laws. Like, you know, where, but uh, yeah, I w she didn't go in on it, but those are some of the conspiracies, conspiracies surrounding this video, at least. So I think this is where maybe the idea of conspiracies come in, but let's let's be very clear here, right? It seems to me like the elite or the people who are running this world time and time again have this obsession with destroying or removing freedoms from everyday people. And that to me is increasingly becoming quite apparent very very obvious and this is one of those things where i really really question like how much of this is going to affect businesses compared to just everyday citizens overall right and and this is something that once again like she's talking about in the environment and just like you know the damage on the environment how certain damages on the environment don't get the same attention as you know damage to people or property Homie, like, let, let's be real. Like, what's happening in Gaza right now, bro? And, and what kind of attention are these elites actually drawing towards an actual genocide? And these guys are talking about ecocide, as in, like, that that takes precedence over genocide. Like, are you are we are we being serious? Are we living in the same world? Uh, like, I'm I'm kind of losing my mind over here. I, I'm 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 wondering what's happening over here. I mean, we talked about this on the last episode. How there's an increasing wedge between the elite and the everyday citizen. And this, to me, is like another tone-deaf example of this, of some person who is very, very adamant about ecocide being this huge thing that we should all watch out for when there's a genocide literally happening right in front of our eyes. I, I, I'm, I'm, at a loss, I'm at a loss for words. I'll be, I'll be very honest. Yeah, Igor, I want to hear your thoughts. But one thing, I just want to say one thing. Sonor, you were saying um, it's a way for the elite to take more control. So <laughs> I like where your head's at because I'm very conspiracy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, would it really is hope to some extent, but it's it's <laughs> it's quite obvious, no? Like, I don't know, like, like there's a there's an you can kind of tell when there's an issue with priorities. This is what I'm trying to say. You get my point? Like, the girl yeah. literally mentions <laughs> she mentions genocide as like a side point, <laughs> and, and you can almost tell like she's like punching herself internally, being like, "Oh, I should have probably not mentioned this when there's legit like genocide happening in our time right now," and she's making it seem like ecocide is more important. Like, how tone deaf do you have to be? Like, how? How removed from life do you have to be from... Anyways, I mean, that's just my perspective. Look, one, one of the things I wanted to just share before Eger shares his thoughts was... Uh, so, obviously, I'm currently in Qatar right now. I'm going to be back soon. But uh, the, my, I have family in the UK. and They're currently visiting as well. And the UK and Canada are pretty similar in how sometimes they lead the charge on some of the more progressive laws. And one of the things they have that they mentioned to me is, unlike in Canada, where um, a person can be a contractor, like basically have his company hire him and then he contracts or he works for companies um, as a corporation. But an individual does that. Gotcha. So that's a way of getting around some of the taxation laws or, you know, uh, maybe expensing a little more and, you know, having a more favorable income than the alternative being just an employee for a company. In the UK, they've made it such that that's impossible to do. So where if if you there has there has to be very, very clear um, requirements and it's very it's to the point where people literally cannot do that there and like, they've made it illegal to do that there and you have to um, prove like there's a necessity and etc etc it's like law i-95 they call it whatever it may be but for me i think i i'm assuming at least very very soon a lot of freelancers or a lot of solopreneurs will have the same fate in canada just because mm -hmm. 
Um, I think this all ties in with people have found this way of making money through dropshipping, through online, whatever. And I'm just like, there's no way they're going to leave this to be for as long as it's going to be. There's no way because the tax, the tax system is built on um, people working for companies and contributing to the social, like, you know, uh, class and whatever, maybe the, the systems we have in place. So if we find a way around that, it's just a matter of time before it's, I'm not saying, I'm saying it makes sense to do it, but I think there's, uh, it's just a matter of time before, you know, some of these things are enforced. Um, and I see that tying back in with WEF in the video we just watched to some degree. But yeah, I, I got want to hear your, uh... my take on uh, Echo side, as she so, as she so aptly put it, I, I think there are, and uh, newer to your point, I think there are like two layers to why things like this would draw attention, right? On one side, she is drawing that parallel, like, oh, there's genocide happening or genocide has occurred. And this is the equivalent of that, right? This is an equivalency that we're just not even talking about, right? So that already is, uh, you know, kind of alarming that you're comparing actual human lives to, uh, obviously environment is, is very important, but 100%, in yeah. general, that's not an equivalency that you can make. But I would actually say that I think it, 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 there's another angle with which this kind of focuses on. Because now when you think of all of the like all of Western civilization and most of the modern world that we know with the Industrial Revolution was built on the idea was built on coal, was built on like excess carbon emissions and all of these things when other parts of the world didn't have those technologies. Right. So you had this Industrial Revolution, you had this huge kickstart or huge advantage early on to be able to build your economy on, to be able to build your infrastructure on. And there was no concept of what's good for the environment. There was no concept of what's bad. There was no regulation. So you had this huge advantage up front um, that allowed you to build this infrastructure very rapidly, very quickly. Now that you had this huge advantage, now all of a sudden, oh, you know, it's very bad to yeah. have these carbon emissions. Oh, it's very bad to not have workers regulated. It's very bad to have not have labor law or things like that. Right. Because now you're curbing like you have all these other countries now, all these other countries, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Europe, that are now getting taking advantage of these things. And all of a sudden now, OK, we shouldn't do that anymore. We've just learned that, you know, ecocide is the thing. We shouldn't go and take a piece of land 100%. and take all of the resources, even though that's what we did to build our infrastructure, even though that's what we did, even though that's how we got to where we are. We shouldn't do it anymore because we want to make sure that we retain that infrastructure advantage that we only got because we did all these things. Totally. And that's, that's exactly the issue that I have with this. It's this, there's a blatant hypocrisy in all of this. And honestly, the amount of uh, rigor or, or amount of kind of being under the microscope that individuals are going to get as a, as a result of these laws compared to these big corporations that have all these sorts of loopholes figured out and, and all their resources to, to circumvent and to actually still be on top of it. Man, it's it's really like the the more we're kind of progressing in society, the more there's like a an unequal playing field, unlevel playing field that is uh, kind of being established by the elite. You know, I, I find that very problematic, honestly. And and honestly, the, the worst part of it all is that that's not the only terrible, <laughs> I guess, one minute segment that came out of this uh, World Economic Forum. I don't know if you guys um, know uh, Kamala's husband. Um, Kamala Harris, right? Who's the uh, the VP? Kamala Harris. Yeah, that's right. So, like, her husband is this, you know, elitist. Uh, once again, you know, like a guy who doesn't even have any issues, who probably doesn't even understand what normal human life is. And he also spoke uh, during the World Economic Forum, 
and he had this to uh, to say here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna share my screen here. And we'll play the video shortly. Uh, but you know, in response to you know just average life, you know, one of the not necessarily present themes, but one of the background themes that kept getting mentioned time and time again during this uh, World Economic Forum was uh, just the issue of uh, anti-Semitism overall, right? And so this is him talking about uh, the plight of the Jews living in the West. Um, so here, here goes this video. I think the, the feeling is one of aloneness and being hated and, and being unmoored and all these things that we had maybe fooled ourselves into thinking that uh, this wasn't so bad, we're not really experiencing anti-Semitism, it's never going to be this horrible it happened and then as you've been saying we kind of saw who our friends were and who our friends weren't and there were too many in the warrant category some who we thought were friends and uh just shocking so it's that, that feeling of like just being so when you hear something like that let's be real american jews i think so when you when you see something like this let's be real right um do you really feel like this guy or even the vp really like their allegiances or their places or look, I understand like Kamala Harris playing the two, two card right here, right? She releases the spill against Islamophobia just a, a, a couple of weeks prior. Uh, but then there's a, a big surge of anti-Semitism as well, according to, you know, a lot of the uh, state's media uh, as a result of what's happening right now in Israel and Palestine. Right. Um, isn't it funny how literally the entire panel, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys realize that, but if you look at their names, they're literally all Jewish people, Jewish elites who are doing probably great things in the world, probably have a ton of money as well under their belt. But at the same time, these guys are talking about how hard it is in their current status, being some of the elite who probably are millionaires upon millionaires or probably very far removed from what real society is like to begin with, right? And this is not has has nothing to do with them and their religion necessarily, but them and their status as the elite. And that's kind of what I'm, I wanted to kind of uh, maybe draw some attention to. Uh, so what do you guys think about Kamala Harris overall? I mean, being the VP, being the right-hand person of Biden over here. And do you really believe that just based on her husband, and I know that, you know, some people will have issues with this, but can you draw some parallels here about where her real allegiances are just based on what he's saying? Thank you. I'm talking about Israel versus us basically. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I, look again, I don't know. I don't know enough about Kamala Harris. All, all I know is in general, she hasn't been the most prominent VP, let's say of VPs. Um, you know, I, I think uh, suggesting that she's the right hand of Biden would be a gross, uh, I guess, like, uh, it'd be very generous of a statement, you know, in terms of the role <laughs> that she's had to play uh, in his administration. Because I think she, once once they once they kind of won the ticket or once they won the election, I think it would, she was, she's been pretty far removed from day-to-day, -day like day-to-day -day ops or just uh, setting policy with him. Now, in terms of her husband, I believe, I don't know this, but I believe he is the first uh, Jewish, like, uh, gentleman, like a spouse of a president or a vice president. I don't think there's yeah. been anyone. A gentleman of the United uh, States or whatever. I don't think there's been anyone before, before him. Uh, but I think that's a good question to ask. And I think they've asked that of uh, Shapiro as well, is if he had to pick between, oh, you know what, would you identify as an American or would you identify 
as Jewish if you had to pick one, although we know, you know, generally you could pick both. If you had to pick between the U.S. or Israel, which one would you pick if you had to pick one, right? Who would you like, like plead your allegiance to? And I think he, he unequivocally dodged the question. So I think that's an interesting question to ask someone like, Douglas Craig uh, yeah. is asking him, you know, especially as someone who's in such a prominent role and he's leading a very kind of like, uh, let's say, vigorous agenda towards, okay, let's try and fight anti-Semitism. Let me try and bring more attention to it. Um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to ask him that question. Not to say we can, but Abdullah. Who's Douglas you... Craig? Uh, I don't know his last name. I think it's like that's his. That's yeah, his... M. Hoff or Craig. Yeah, I yeah. Think. he's the uh, he's the spouse or the husband of Kamala Harris, who's vice president of the United States. Oh, that's his name. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. His name is Doug. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically, Abdullah, what do you what do you think? Let's say if we ask Doug over here, um, you got to pick one, U.S. or Israel, and like you know, you got to pick one. You can only which one do you think? You I think there's a, there's an obvious like political choice that he has to make. But um, what do you think he answered? I think he would pick Israel. And I think uh, like 95% of Jews would pick Israel. Uh, but I don't blame them. And honestly, I'm empathetic to it because let's say theoretically the Muslims had an Israel. So pretty much a one state. I think that would be under a Khalifa. And I think the majority of Muslims have to under Islam, you know, give allegiance to that eventually one day. Um so if there was a one state for Muslims, we would choose that. Now, if someone were to ask me, do you choose Canada or, um, I don't know, man, Palestine? Well, obviously, I'm not going to choose Palestine. Like, I'm going to go get killed. Um, now, if I was, I don't know, Qatari, I would choose Qatar, man. Like, I wouldn't be in Canada to begin with. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Muslims are in Canada because the West destroyed their countries. <laughs> we don't have it in Israel. <laughs> um, their parents as well. Immigration yeah. overall. But I think yeah. I think it's I think a lot of Muslims I think the Muslim Ummah was blamed for a long time for a lot of the same things that Jews could be blamed for. So um, you know we were blamed for terrorism. Okay, fine. Like I don't I don't agree with it. Um, maybe a lot of Muslims were terrorists, but honestly, a lot of the stuff that's coming out, Jews were also responsible for, and they're like they're not even one percent of what we are. They're far less than that. Like we are far greater in number, so. But yeah, I don't. I'm I'm empathetic to the fact that um, their allegiance does not lie with the U.S. I think I think what I would say though, what I would say is that it's good that that's coming to light because a lot of Christians were under the impression that they were on their side. And it's like no, they're not on your side. So if you think Muslims are not on your side, Habibi, like Jews also are not on your side. Like if they could give their allegiance, everyone will give their allegiance to Israel if they if, if they could. Yeah, they, Clearly, I mean, look, the the thing that really bothers me with that clip specifically is how he goes on to say, and, you know, we've realized who our friends are and who our friends aren't. And there's this constant issue that I'm having with this kind of rhetoric, which is literally like the victim card, right? It's we are victims. I'm like, holy God, you're a freaking lawyer, a second gentleman of the U.S., like, you're talking about being a victim. Are you serious, bro? The entire panel is literally like elitist, uh, you know, people of, of Jewish faith. Like, how how much of a victim can you be if you are literally flown out, staying at these crazy hotels for like an entire week or whatever amount of time that this whole thing takes place? And you are treated with probably the best of food, the best of security, 
the best of cars, the best, and then you're you want to play victim? Are you serious, bro? And this whole thing is literally as a result of what's happening right now in Palestine, where from from a a political perspective, the reaction of those elites is super skewed towards or towards the favor of Israel itself, right? And that that to me is what like like bothers me in this whole in this whole clip. And that's another one of these another another situation that came out of the World Economic Forum once again was uh, was this wonderful response from uh, Blinken. Um, so l- let me just play this for you guys, and maybe we can get some reactions here. Uh, but you go, you guys know our our, our best friend over here, Blinken, um, who is the Secretary of Defense, is it right? And then. He's basically asked a very important question here about Gaza. Let's let's take a look here. Do Jewish lives matter more than Palestinian and Muslim lives, Muslim, Palestinian Christian lives, uh, given the incredible asymmetry uh, in casualties? And I've been asked that. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. No. Period. Um, for me, I think for so many of us, um, what we're seeing every single day in Gaza uh, is gut-wrenching. And the suffering we're seeing among innocent men, women, and children breaks my heart. The question is, what is to be done? This is the part that bothers me. It's this question of what is to be done? We got to figure this out. Like, we have no clue what we could do to stop this. It's so... To provide some context, uh, he's actually the Secretary of State. Of yes, the US, sorry, is, that's right. The other guy is... Uh, which, is which is arguably, most people would say, the, the second most powerful position in the U.S. government. So, you know, if he's having a difficult time figuring out what there is to do, um, then who who is going to come up with a solution, you know? Uh, yeah, who is going to come up with a solution if he's having a difficult time? That's right. That's right. And just the fake, like, you know, sympathy or empathy that he's displaying, you know, the way he like moves his eyes, like, no, period. You know, what's happening is really tragic. It breaks my heart. Guy probably like went back to his hotel, fell asleep without any issues, no demons, no nothing, bro. Because this guy has become one to begin with. And that's the thing that really like, once again, when we're talking about this disconnect between the elites, between the people who are running the show, and everyday citizens, this is just a clear, clear display of how delusional these people are and how they almost believe their own delusion because of how long they've been in that delusion for. And that to me is is really the you know the just the, the crux of the issue, honestly. We gotta we gotta eventually get rid of all these guys, man. Honestly, these guys are just ruining life as it is. Yeah, question for you guys, because we live in Canada. So you guys obviously know Canada doesn't have um, like we're not allowed guns, uh, it's or it's very, very, very hard to get it. And they made it even harder recently. Um, obviously, Trudeau had a thing like what, one or two years ago where they were going harder on guns. And it seemed kind of out of place because it's like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal to begin with. Maybe in very, very, very few cities, maybe one or two, you know. But like, do you really have to go hard on guns? Like, we have many bigger problems. So the question is... Um, what are you guys' stance on that, given how I think a lot of people have a pessimistic view on how things are going to go, going to go down? And let's say we go back to uh, a pandemic era or even worse. Okay, let's say we go back to, let's say we go to something that's even worse than that, like a, a depression or imagine yourself literally World War Three. 
right? And people are going chaotic. Man, for a couple of days, we had a power outage for five days, and people were like animals. What are your stance with regards to gun laws in Canada? Do you think it's actually a blessing, or do you think we would actually be better off with them if things go real south and like worst case scenario happens where World War Three, blah blah blah? That's a good question. I don't know, Danielle. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. So I think in general, I've actually tried to get a uh, firearm for shooting or for different things. I think it's it's quite difficult to get. There are different classes of, of guns. There's like hunting. Um, then if you want to get into a handgun, that becomes like an, an additional layer. Um, but for recreational purposes, it is quite difficult and it does take a, a fair amount of time to get one, which I can understand. It, it makes sense. It is a firearm and it, it makes sense to kind of have some restrictions. Um, but to then further kind of double down on kind of restricting access or making it more difficult to have, um, I, I guess it, it just, it seemed like a non-issue, but I feel like it does catch headlines, right? Uh, especially after, you know, maybe there's a, uh, an accident or a shooting or something that happens that catches national attention. And now you're the prime minister and you're coming out and you're saying, you know, we're going to, we're going to double down on this. We're going to make sure that this doesn't happen. I think again, Canada is like already one of the safest countries in the world. And maybe that's, you know, part and parcel because they have, you know, uh, more restrictive gun laws, but to double down on something that isn't all, isn't really an issue for the headline or for the, I guess, the, the political cachet, that I find is is not, not ideal, especially when you have, to Abdullah's point, so many more pressing issues like uh, housing, cost of living, and, uh, homelessness, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think the fact that Canada is so safe is more of a, cor- a correlation thing or a causation? Because a lot of people say the states the the states has um when they when they look at states with gun laws versus when they look at states that are more um like okay with people having guns those with people that have guns are actually more safe i'm not too sure about that but i haven't yeah, I, it, I, but I don't I know about that but like okay at the end of the day at least for the states it's it's part of their constitution right they have the right to bear arms and it's it's part of how the u.s itself was started, yeah. right this is maybe 200 200 years ago is they had to bear arms against, you know, the British rulers, right? Like that's how they were able to to get out of it. And that's how they yeah. were able to start their nation and become what they are today. Um, so it's something that's very ingrained in their constitution. Um, for Canada, not so much. Um, now, do I think it's, does it have, is there a correlation or a causation? I, I, I can't, I don't know. I guess there, there's probably, I'm sure there's some reports or some studies done that could lean either way. I'm sure it's one of those things where you can cherry pick data, you can cherry pick stats to, to go either way. But I think overall, if I'm to say it, it's not that big of an issue, we don't need to double down on it more to like, it's not going to have the same kind of incremental effect. If I make it twice as hard to get guns in Canada as it already is, it's not going to reduce the rate of, you know, gun related violence by half, you know, it's not going to be proportional. Yeah. So the only thing I'll say is the following, right? In terms of gun laws overall, um, I'm personally quite pacifist when it comes to quite a few things, especially like, you know, violence or anything like that. So I've always had this relationship with guns where outside of Call of Duty, I wasn't a big fan, right? Um, and the reality is now that I'm kind of growing up, I'm starting to see uh, these impediments on people's rights, this kind of overall move towards elite controlling everything, um, you know, structural powers controlling everything, establishment controlling everything. 
Um, and there's this obsession with that control, right? Uh, I feel like I finally am starting to understand what gun laws are there for to begin with in, in the sense that this Second Amendment, at least in the States, where it allows people to actually have that firearm. And it really is almost like a protection of freedoms in in some ways. Now, I'm not pro-guns in the sense that I think everyone should have easy access to it. I think definitely there needs to be a lot more gun laws, a lot more restrictions, especially in some states where literally anyone can just walk up to a counter and just buy one and, you know, they can literally walk with it and start causing whatever damage they want. I think there needs to be a little bit of, of, a, of a check there. So like, you know, uh, background checks, health checks, whatever the case may be, just to make sure that the person is, is fit to actually own a firearm. Uh, and I think I can start to finally understand why and look, the reality is, like, a lot of us are programmed or wired to look at things from a certain lens, right? What I mean is that I think, honestly, the reason why there's a lot of people with that very negative relationship with guns overall is perhaps maybe we've been conditioned to think that way, and we don't even know about it, right? Maybe over the times, like, just the amount of, uh, you know, maybe news that comes out or uh, just maybe the, even the perspective, like sometimes we don't know, but we're really conditioned to believe a certain way about certain things without even us really paying attention to it or knowing it, really being conscious of it. Um, so I, I, I'm starting to kind of understand it a little bit more. And I do believe now that it does play a pretty important role now uh, for if and when it comes to a point where that's the only way left to defend yourself or to defend your family. Like, what do you do at that point? You know, you have your house, the government comes and says, nope, we're going to take your house. What do you do at that point, right? If you don't have firearms, how are you supposed to defend yourself? Like with, with what, your fists when they have the whole army and people with guns? Like, at least if they're pushing the army and they're literally like a tyrants, you can defend yourself and at least you go out with a bang, literally, right? Um, trying to defend your family and, and, you know, instead of just becoming a, a cockroach to them. I don't know. I actually think it's it's maybe a little bit different because, like, while I do understand the right to bear arms, like, the idea is that even in the U.S., like, the kind of arms that you can bear, you know, if, if they bring the army, if they bring the National Guard, if they bring actual For law sure. enforcement, there isn't much that we can do. I think the, the bigger thing that it does provide is, and, and sometimes maybe you know, the thought process is they want to stop this is it's a tool for self-sustenance, right? And we were talking about, imagine you own your own land. Imagine you have your own farm, you're raising your own stuff, you're hunting on your own land, you're really living off the land in some capacity. Um, it really curbs the ability to do that because if you can do that, then you're now outside of, you know, the regular economic. You're off the grid. You're off yeah. the grid, right? Like you can't, you can't have too many people, you can't have too much of your economy operating off the grid and not being a part of it, not, you know, kind of being part of the system. So I, I think it, to me, it represents more a tool for self-sustenance because even when I think of guns or firearms, I've always gone hunting with them. You've gone shooting with them recreationally. Um, so to me, it's more of a tool for self-sustenance than it, than it is for defense. Uh, of course, that can be a use case, but I guess that's not how I've I've seen them for the most part. Totally. No, that makes sense. I mean, look, the reality is, like I said, stories are skewed in different ways. And it's the media who decides what to kind of display, when to display it. If you're watching CNN, they're probably going to paint it as, you know, everyone that owns a gun is 
a potential, you know, uh, mass shooter or, or something like that, which honestly, there is an increasing problem with that. I'm not trying to deny that. And that needs to be regulated as a result of that. There's no doubt about it. Like there's not enough gun laws. And that's probably one of the main reasons that it's actually contributing. Part of that, part of it is just, you know, mental health overall as well. I, I do think that there are merits to both of those arguments. I think it's silly to just stick to one and being like, this is the this is the only solution. I think most issues have a multitude of factors that will actually result into a proper solution, long-term solution. Uh, but at the same time, if you're watching Fox, I'm sure they're just highlighting a bunch of news of like, you know, this perpetrator coming into a person's home and then them using the gun and, you know, defending themselves and their family. And as a result, they're heroes. And this is why guns are so important to keep. And that's what that's what I mean by depending on what you take in as information, movies that you watch, there are agendas behind it like all of these things, right? These are people's feelings, emotions, perspectives that they want to kind of impart, that they want to share. Um, and by doing so, sometimes subconsciously, you form an opinion without even knowing about it, right? Um, and and so that, that's what I mean by this. So I totally agree with what you're saying. I think there is for sure that concept of self-sustenance, no doubt. I do believe that there are definitely some scenarios where it does also become a tool for, for defense, uh, self-defense and so on. Uh, but I think we're all in agreement that there should be some sort of regulation, but I think we're all starting to kind of grow up and, and realize that, you know, maybe, maybe owning a gun isn't such a bad thing. You know what I mean? Well, as before, if you did, or if you even wanted to, it's like, you're a villain, you know what I mean? Or you're, you're someone that's looked down upon, uh, at least from the liberal or from the left side of things. And, and in the Canadian context, I don't think it would be too much of an issue because it's already as is, um, you know, very regularly, right? You got yeah. a course, you got to you know, do like, you, there's a lot, there's a huge process to be able to just get a hunting rifle, you know, to go hunting with. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a one year process. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I know, I know that, uh, I think Canada was ranked, I think number six in like, I don't want to say easiest gun laws, but in terms of accessibility, but we still have the least amount of casualties overall. Um, when it comes to that, and it, it's really just because of probably regulations. Once yeah. again, like the regulations that are in place are the ones that actually matter. Uh, so who knows? Maybe that's that's part of the problem as well that you know people are are having issues with. Anyways, uh, all this to say that um, so that's that's pretty much everything in terms of World Economic Forum that we want to kind of share overall. Uh, we can move on to a different um, topic over here, which is Israel at the Hague. Israel at the Hague. So we know that the ICJ uh, was essentially, um, you know, putting Israel on trial. This is coming from South Africa, who uh, filed an actual legal binding uh, accusation that Israel is committing genocide. Um, and so one of there's a there's a lot to talk about this. But one of the main things that Israel came out of this, uh, despite the overwhelming evidence that was proving that they were indeed causing genocide, is Netanyahu saying that regardless of what happens, we don't care. We'll just keep doing what we need to do. Um, so what are your thoughts about this? You know, how do you hold a country or a powerful entity uh, accountable if even international, um, you know, <laughs> like these these crazy bodies can't do anything about it? Or, or despite them actually filing any type of uh, legally binding, um, you know, uh, like convictions or whatever you want to call it, there is no actual repercussion or accountability post that. 
I think there are certain checks and balances that are in place sometimes, but unfortunately those checks and balances are now being taken advantage of. Like I think even when you think of the, I think the UN Security Council or things like that, where let's say Israel has gone, again, I'm not sure of the specifics, but um, this is from another video that I saw. I don't recall which one, but um, it was, I, I think it was in regards to Adam and Bassem, their conversation where you've had the US come in and veto multiple times, use like 60, 70% of their veto power um, in order to protect a specific you know, interest of, of, of a specific country, right? And you're talking about what, how many countries are there? Uh, 196, <laughs> maybe, maybe more, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, you're, you're talking 70% of your veto power is used on one. Um, so there are those checks and balances in place. And I feel like those checks and balances, instead of really uh, doing what they're intended or just being taken advantage of. Totally. Totally agree with that. Abdullah, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, to piggyback off Edgar, so uh, the UN stuff hasn't gone anywhere, and I don't think that's going anywhere. It's it's like a joke. Um, I think a lot of people are also pessimistic regarding the ICJ and, like, what's going to happen there. Because even if... I think w w one of the um, analyses that I saw was from Norman Finkelstein. And he did it, and he it was pretty sick, man. He he said out of twelve, he gave his breakdown, and he said I don't think that it'll be a victory there because seven out of the twelve will go with uh, Israel, like it's countries that side with Israel. So even if it's a fair trial, what do you think has been happening in the UN? It's all been fair stuff. It's just people who are pro-Zionist or pro-Jew, whatever it may be, whatever you want to call it. But they're definitely. Um, it's the same kind of people. There's no reason to believe that that will turn out different. The second thing I would say is your question was, um, what do we do? Uh, I think sanctions, hopefully, look, if ICJ is victorious and Israel still says, Netanyahu says, nope, I'm not doing anything. I don't recognize, I, I don't give a damn. Nobody's going to stop us. You obviously go the sanctions route. How much, will, how much impact will that have? Hard to say. Um, I mean... I think a lot of nasty countries will take advantage of it. Oh, some country sanction? Fantastic. I'll take the opportunity and start shipping stuff to Israel myself and make money off yeah, of that. Basically. <laughs> like the ultimate solution is war, but honestly, I don't think anybody wants to start World War III. Like, no doubt so. about it. And that's the thing. You can see that already with, with, with Yemen's response, right? Like they were in a way uh, imposing sanctions on the Red Sea, if you want to call it that, right? Where uh, any ships that were passing by that were delivering aid to some sort that were passing by their border, which they honestly have every right to defend, right? Um, they were essentially not allowing them to pass through or, you know, and they would warn them. They would give them through warnings. And if not, then, you know, they would launch some sort of missile or anything like that to really deter any other ships from, you know, not taking them seriously. Um, so we've seen that happen. We've seen the response. The response to your point is always, hey, you know, you're, a, you know, a terrorist organization, you need to go down as a result. Let's start airstriking, which is literally what the response of the U.S. and the U.K. have been, uh, have been to also send more ships and uh, military ships to just kind of, you know, actually fight them and whatnot. Anyhow, all this to say that uh, this is the current response. Uh, you know, in the States, you can't even boycott in like, you know, 30 or some of the States, uh, anything that has to do with Israel products, just because, you know, this is their little baby brother that they need to defend and always need to kind of, <laughs> you know, be, be out there to keep the bully, the bully bullying, right. Or keep, keep the bulldog happy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't anyhow. know if you guys saw this, but 
I mean, this is the impact that Yemen has, and I think a lot of countries can have it. But basically, they're, the, the Yemenis or the Houthis are saying they're going to block the three main access ways to Israel um, yeah. because from Yemen, or the Muslim world grew a pair. Um, it's just hard to say whether they're going to, you know. If, but if, if Yemen can do this, then honestly, imagine, like, what, you know, the different countries can do if they wanted to. Yeah, Like, I literally agree. blocking all shipments to these guys. The problem is these guys are complicit, right? There's actual news that's coming out right now that are saying, like, for example, Egypt is actually allowing them, because of the fact that uh, from the sea side of things, they can't actually do any type of trade. They've opened up corridors where they're allowing people to do it online instead. So these guys, like, honestly, they don't have a backbone. <laughs> they're complicit in these crimes. They don't actually really adhere to or fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way where they're actually going to sanction them or, you know, stop them. No, if anything, they're actually helping them and they're easing the burdens that they have or that they are being imposed on by Yemen and other state actors who actually are trying to do something about it uh and that's the thing and i find it so funny you know with the whole yemen situation it's like oh because you're blocking us the houthis are now going to be like a terrorist organization let's call them terrorists and that's literally what they, they actually like are trying to pass now so the yemenis respond going like okay you want to call us terrorists we're gonna call you terrorists so now they've actually enacted a law that the uk and the us are terrorist states it's just so hilarious and then and then it's another one of those was like okay you're calling us terrorists well then what we're gonna do is anyone who's a houthi will not be allowed to come into the states so no more visas for you guys Houthi's like you know what we don't care Anyone, any one of these Americans want to come to Yemen? Screw you guys. No more visas for you guys. It's just so funny to watch. My, my dad's stronger than yours. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's so hilarious, man. But honestly, hats off to the Houthis, man. They, they're actually trying to do something compared to the Western allies. You, you, saw, you saw Germany's response, right? They're like, hey, Israel can't defend themselves because they can't even get their papers correctly. The guy like being the guy who's like shuffling his papers on the uh, at the Hague, who's like, someone shuffled my papers. Hmm, it might be Hamas. Who knows? Uh, but basically, this guy right, made a big mockery out of himself and of Israel because their arguments were literally, I think they mentioned Hamas like 137 times in the entire defense. <laughs> they had no no actual defense aside from Hamas, but Hamas, but Hamas, but Hamas, and Hamas everything, right? Um, and then Germany was like, you know what? Maybe we need to step in to actually defend these guys. Germany being on the wrong side of history for now over a hundred years somehow. I don't know how you how you do that. Like that's that's like record setting in some way. Uh, how like the German government can literally be on the wrong side of history for over a hundred years. That's that's really impressive. Um, but anyhow, so th they're jumping in now to the defense. You saw France as well uh, coming in and saying, you know what, guys, uh, I think what South Africa is doing uh, impedes on morality itself. I think they call it a moral obscenity or something like that you know, direct quote from them. Um, so you're seeing a lot of these guys who are kind of coming in. You saw Biden as well. Uh, what are your thoughts about these guys? I mean, how how sad is it, like in Germany's case, right, where they're literally on the wrong side of history for over 100 years? I feel bad for everyday Germans, man, who um, don't stand for this stuff. Just like how people felt bad probably for everyday Muslims when, you know, idiots uh, decided to do acts of terrorism. I, I do feel bad for everyday Germans. It's It's... The morons at the top that have control, just like they do here. 
just like they do here. Like, there's no reason why people should blame all Canadians for Trudeau and his cabinet and uh, Pierre Polyevre and his cabinet, who will definitely support Israel and the rest of them. Genocide Joe and his, and you know, like the people themselves are, bro. Like, what was it? Um, on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn recently, there was a guy who made a nasty comment about uh, Palestinians and about like how. Anyways, he 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 was a pro-Zionist guy, and all I said was, "You are what's wrong with the world." And my comment had like fifteen likes, and his his whatever comment he made didn't have anything. Which just goes to show, by the way, LinkedIn is one of the most conservative places. Like people don't want to be political on there, which I completely get. Yeah. But I think like ninety-five percent, if I had to guess, of people side with Palestinians. So I think the people themselves, like it's it sucks to be them, man. Like it sucks to be us, I guess. The people, it sucks to be the Germans. But um, yeah, like I don't know, Germany's got to do better. At least the people at the top. That's the thing, man. These guys are supposed to be like the moral compass, right? That's one of those things that a lot of people say uh, this conflict has kind of unearthed or or really exposed is this myth of of Western uh, democracy, of Western um, ethics, of morality overall. That all of this is literally just an illusion. It's non-existent. It is fake. It only applies when it suits them and their agenda and specific types of people, but not the actual people that it matters two and that is part of the issue right that is exactly part of that issue um what do you guys think yeah slogan for whose line remember this line oh yeah where the points don't matter (laughs) where the points don't matter and everything's made up (laughs) pretty much that's literally what it is (laughs) that is so true man um yeah so all this to say like look uh some of these the eu some of the, the the like the countries of course in europe they're saying that whatever comes out of it they're gonna abide by so if you know israel is actually sanctioned as a result they're gonna be part of that sanction they will actually uphold some of these uh laws or whatever conviction comes out of it so hopefully you know something does come out of it it'd be great but we're we're really seeing that israel's i guess response to all of this is we don't give a crack we're just gonna keep doing our thing and you know, nobody can stop us, right? And they have Biden's full green light um, to keep doing that. That Until now, I think uh, they're literally saying, like, we don't see any proof of genocide. We don't see any proof of, you know, them abusing anything. And it's just so hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this recent response from um, Netanyahu and, and Biden. No, Kirby as well, yeah. But, <laughs> Biden and Netanyahu. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Biden recently uh, met up with Netanyahu for the first time in since the beginning almost of the war. Uh, and so the guy is talking about, uh, you know, and, and I don't know if you guys have seen this as well, but in Israel, it's becoming very, very clear that there is no hope for a two-state solution, right? Uh, Netanyahu has made his, his intentions very clear. He said, no matter what, I've always been against it. He even, like, you know, exposed himself as being the guy who has stopped it for so many years, almost like the mastermind, you know, the great, great genius who's prevented this from happening. Um, and so anyway, so so basically he meets with him and then Biden and then Netanyahu says, well, there's no two-state solution. Biden says, well, after this talk that we had with each other, it seems like a two-state solution can be possible under some certain regulations. Netanyahu responds saying, no, Biden is wrong. There is no two-state solution. At this point, like, 
Why is the arrogant, U.S. Man. so keen on that? No, honestly. No, bro. Like, like Yahoo and Zionists are so arrogant. They're like, look, we own the U.S. We're going to decide things. We will be so blatant because you're like, right? nobody's going to do anything. It no, is what it, it is. It makes sense from their perspective, right? Because you can see Israel as like a U.S. satellite campus. You know, it is their presence in the region and they know that they'll have the backing of it regardless. And how can you say there's going to be a two-state solution? Once you confirm that, then um, your maybe long-term expansion strategy just can never come to fruition, right? So you can't say there can be a two-state solution because now you're conceding the land. But later on down the road, if ever you want to expand, if ever you want to you know, capture other parts, then all of a sudden they can bring up that two-state solution as precedent. So um, I, I don't think under this government regime whatever you want to call it under Netanyahu that there would ever be because it it kind of it, it's very counterintuitive to his long-term vision for what uh what Israel is that makes sense but still at the end of the day it's like you've got this little brother that's you know just wrecking havoc all over the Middle East causing all sorts of instability right with this crazy amount of sheer arrogance lack of regard for anything but themselves and their policies and what they want to do. Like, isn't it to the U.S.'s best interest to kind of keep that little brother in check? You know, it's like this, like, rabid bulldog. It's like, don't you want to keep that rabid bulldog on, like, a leash, literally? Like, I don't know. To me, it's it's baffling that Biden, as a person, is okay with looking like a weak puppet servant to Israel when it should be the other way around, if anything, like, let's be real. Who is the actual superpower? Like, who is the one that, you know, used to be feared across, you know, the entire world as being one of the main superpowers that you just don't cross? There are certain limits. You don't do this. You don't mess with the U.S. Now it's literally like the guy is making a mockery of his own country, to be very honest. I think the example would be more like one of, uh, think of like a rich executive and their spoiled son, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you give your spoiled son a hotel, you give them a business to run, and they're running it into the ground, right? Now, sure, you can reprimand them. Sure, you could do something, but you're like, oh, they're my son, and I'm already kind of, I'm already in so deep. Let me just, you know, buy him a second hotel. Or let me just, let me just, that, that, I guess that's their position, right? If I'm the spoiled son, I don't want to be reprimanded. I just want, you know what? Like, oh, no, this Benefits. one is just a bad case. Like, double down. Like, can you just give me more money. I'll fix this. Don't worry, dad. I'll fix yeah. this, you know? And it's embarrassing for the dad. It's embarrassing, right? To, to, to go out in public and be embarrassed when he says, no, you know what? You know what, son? I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to cut our losses and we're going to have to shut down this hotel. And they're like, we're not shutting down this hotel. What are you talking mm -hmm. about? You know, it's embarrassing for the dad, but at the same time, it's like, oh, it's kind of my fault. You know, like I did, I did this. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah, I mean, if you... who, who would put their foot down? Like Biden? Like, it wouldn't I be mean, Biden. Really, in this two... case, he's not right. <laughs> and Blinken, he's got he's got two passports. So let's be real. I don't even think he really yeah, cares. Yeah, Blinken about... won't because he literally comes first as a Jew. Biden won't because his son literally there's pedoph pedophilia stuff affiliated to him through Epstein, um, that is like literally proven. Um, the whole Congress is pro-Israel because they're all paid off from APAC. Like, who's gonna do it? Nobody because they don't have any incentive. Actually, it's no. the opposite where there's literally blackmail against them. Yeah, hundred percent. Is 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 Blinken a dual citizen? I I, I don't know because yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought you can't serve in cabinet as a dual citizen. I mean, 
Again, I don't know. I don't know. That was just my assumption, right? You can't serve. The guy, the guy actually, for sure. It's actually a requirement now to for Congress to have Israeli passports. In in Congress, so you can have. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you might as well. You might as well make it a requirement to be in Congress. You have to be Honestly. Israeli. I would be like that's that's believable. Like, you know, I mean, some people will look at that and be like, that's anti-Semitic. But but let's yo, be real. question for you guys because I have a theory. And Eger, this goes back to a chat we had a while ago, but I think we, we should bring up this theory yet again. Yeah. Uh, or, we, sorry, we should, this the, this piggybacks off of that theory. So let me just share my screen because this ties into something we, we briefly insinuated uh, to, whatever the hell that word is. Okay. Have you guys seen this clip? Or just generally this, this podcast with Basim Yusuf? Uh, the one where uh, Basim and Adam go at it for like almost an hour. <laughs> yeah, let me just play a bit, okay? Yeah, yeah, that was great. I actually that was think awesome. you're a smart guy. I actually think you know your stuff. You're just so fixated that Israel's the problem. The problem in the Middle East, like I said, follow the money. The countries that are succeeding, the Qataris, even the Saudis these days, they're coming into the modern world. They're leaving the, the sixth century mentality behind and say, let's get into the 21st century. Where, where they need to succeed, in, whether it's Gaza or whether it's Lebanon or whether it's Syria or whether Afghanistan, they need to focus on GDP, not GDT. Gross domestic product, not gross domestic terrorism. And the problem is they're obsessed. Put the guns down. Put the Quran down. Actually start living by the words that the Quran says, not some false uh, equivalent of what they think is actually going on there. You talk about the genocide in Israel or in Gaza, as if it's just a matter of fact. Well, let me, let me let me show some stats for you because after you see these stats, Israel's the worst genociders ever. The numbers, the, according to the world data, if you trust data, between 1990 and 2022, the Palestinian population overall went from 2 million to 5 million, okay? Pretty bad at genocide if that's what's happening right there. In Gaza, it went from 645,000 to 2.1 million. It's 3X. That ain't genocide to me. Now, to 20,000 people, 30,000 people needlessly killed during this bullshit war that was started by Hamas, is that horrible? One million percent. And any Jew or any Israeli... Give me that number said, again. 600,000 to what? 645,000 to 2.1 million. From what to, That's from what, from what to where? This is in 1990 to 2022. Do you know Pull why they increased? Because they're having babies like crazy. No. You see, this is how, in, how, how, like, when you watch that, that while being uninformed makes me look, makes you look very stupid. Tell me why. Tell me the how the, it, tell me how the, the population has the gone reason. from two million to five million. Yeah, because most of the one point five extra million didn't come from Gaza; they were pushed away from other parts of Israel. So most of these people they have increased because of refugees. No, being if, if you're talking about the settlers, those are tens of thousands. I'm Stop talking it. about those aren't Gaza. millions of people. Dude, dude, dude listen, my wife's family is not from Gaza, and yet they found themselves in Gaza because they were sitting in other uh, other cities and villages outside Gaza. This is the systemic pushing of intellectually dishonest no, or intellectually no, lazy no that's not the cause of millions of people i'm, 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 I'm sorry i'm familiar with the settlement no, stuff no, this and is, the disengagement you don't know in 2006 it, you don't know what you're talking about it's, no, these are people that millions are of people what? okay the people who belong to gaza are 700,000 people in the heart of jerusalem Oh, fantastic. Look at this ad. Oh, Beautiful. I want to see what this commercial is about. <laughs> the echoes of prayer are met with restrictions. Young Palestinians okay. yearning for spiritual solace. 
This is probably These like a help. Yeah, this is Imagine a being sprayed okay. with a mix of water and the odor of a skunk <laughs> when you only wish to pray. Anyways, I'll just say uh, for for the clip itself, right? There's a few things. I don't know. Abu, Abu, I don't know if you want to share yours first, your thoughts first. Look, the main question I have is all the comments bash this guy, Adam. Of course. The, the idiot, right? Basson goes on to destroy him, dismantles his argument very logically. All the comments see through the stupidity. My question is the following. Why do you guys think PBD continues to have this guy on his show, given that, by the way, he's not always this retarded, but he's he's an idiot. He is an idiot. Even the way he speaks. like He's not a smart guy. And he will say stupid things. And I've seen other podcasts where I'm like, how do you still have this guy? Like You're an elite podcast. You're at the top. PPD is a very serious guy, billionaire. Why do you guys think he continues to have this guy on his show? I think people like like the fact that he keeps getting destroyed. Uh, billionaire, in I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you guys get it, right? Like you need you need that devil's advocate kind of person. You need that um, almost puppet like ragdoll that you could use to scapegoat or like just destroy, dismantle, really like make a mockery of uh and i think that actually helps pbd if i'm being very honest like i actually i would say that it, it probably has to do with i think one they're probably just friends right so yeah, they're probably just friends and he, he's helping him out and then two to your point i'm assuming people like him and he like he is part of that target demographic right someone who might not be very educated someone who might you know let's say make opinions based on a very surface level article or something like that is valuetainment's target demographic from my understanding as well right so he caters to that target demographic quite well um or at least a subsection of it um so yeah I, I, and i think to your point like you always need someone to make the others look better exactly i disagree guys i've been following pbd for a while this guy consistently gets bashed whether it's a muslim or not on the no on I, the agree. Show. I agree with that he yeah. gets he gets bashed a lot and newer honestly so I, I i understand your perspective but a lot of comments, and me including, by the way, I don't watch PPD as much because of this guy. And if oh, people okay. are consistently bashing him, and comments have gotcha. said, by the way, I don't watch your show anymore because you keep bringing Adam on. And he's yeah, just yeah. very, very annoying. And he's an idiot. Look, so to your point, maybe if that that's actually what's happening. Or maybe that pushes engagement as well. Like, you know, like people like to trash certain things. So maybe, I don't know. No, like... no. So, so, but to Abud's point, like, let, let's be real. Like, if it actually starts cannibalizing your views. Yeah then yeah, that becomes an issue. Like you have to do something about it. But in his case, I think honestly, PBD, to, to Danielle's point, they're definitely friends. I mean, they've mentioned it multiple times. Yeah. But it's also, I think PBD's points come across stronger mm -hmm. when you have someone like Adam there who can't handle those types of arguments, who doesn't know how to respond to them adequately, who can't, who can't, can't even play devil's advocate properly, like who just makes noise, which we all know that's, that's who Adam is, right? Like, we're talking about Adam calling Basim Yusuf. Basim Yusuf, by the way, intellectually lazy. You know, Dr. Yeah. Basim Yusuf, right? Like, Literally, right? <laughs> like, intellectually lazy, bro. Freaking Adam is intellectually flaccid, bro. Like, no no offense to this guy. Like, he's literally intellectually flaccid, right? I like that like, point. Like, You're basically saying PBD brings him on because it makes PBD look smarter. Yes, 100%. I, I like really that. do believe that. That's a good. Uh, I really do believe hypothesis. that. And 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 I, I would just assume that they're friends. So I'm assuming, yeah. I'm assuming yeah. that they're friends. And obviously, PBD still understands that it's a business. 
Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I can support a friend. And you know what? doesn't make me look bad. So <laughs> You guys think Adam knows. Multiple wins. <laughs> Honestly, I think Adam, bro, like, I don't know, man. To me, it's like he's still given a platform. That platform helps his own platform grows because he has his own podcast where, like, he just has, like, a bunch of women. And he's just, like, you know, red pill this, red pill that. He's trying to be, like, you know, really cool and red pilly. Um I don't know, man. Honestly, I, I think he does know. I, I don't think he really cares, honestly. It, it, like, look, bro, like, Adam is a Zionist, bro. Like, no offense, but, like, Big literally friend. most most Zionists live in their own sense of reality. Like, their reality is warped. Bro, like, in the Talmud, like, I was reading this, um, I think, like, a couple of days ago, where there's there's passages where literally a man... All right, who is hanged, the rabbis would say, a man, man who is hanged. If a man gets hanged by a person and then gets starved, meaning that person doesn't give him any food for X amount of days, and that person dies, they say, well, that guy died on his own. That's an actual conclusion from the rabbis for this kind of situation, this kind of dialogue, this kind of... So that's what I mean. Like, you actually think he cares about what people actually think about him? Let's be real, bro. Like, these guys, a lot of times, they have their own sense of reality, their own sense of, like, what the truth is. And I also think, like, to, to a certain extent, I think it's not 100% his fault because what, what you realize is this is just systemic, right? This is not like he believes this independently yeah. and this is his opinion. No, it's like he went to school. He probably went to, like, you know, he had an environment. He had a family. And it's a systematic way of just being raised with this 100%. idea, right? This this idea, this concept that this is the truth. This is what it is, right? I think I was watching this video about how even in the Israeli educational system, like the way Palestinians are described, the way Arabs are described, the way certain elements are described are, let's say, not painted in the best light, right? So you're, you're much you're much more desensitized to what what's happening because of the way you're you're kind of brought up right so yeah. he's part and parcel like he he's kind of a victim in that regard because he just doesn't know it right he doesn't understand that he has this bias or he had whatever you want to call it right he has this like he's been conditioned to believe this um but it just it is what it is and now he's just kind of he's just going through the motions you know Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That, that's exactly what I was trying to get at. I think you said it way better than I did. That's a very empathetic <laughs> way of looking at it. Um, is instead of blaming him, you kind of blame uh, the things that led to no, the I, issue. I, I do. There is but... blame because, like, look, yeah. Sorry, I think it was cutting off. Go for it. Yeah, it is. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I was saying I, I, I think there I think, is blame. Yeah, I think it's a little. Adult. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, to Danielle's point uh, about just the conditioning, there is a huge amount of conditioning that is done. No doubt about it. From the system itself, they do it on purpose. They they don't, in their textbooks, to, to Danielle's point, when they talk about Arabs, they don't use current images of Arabs. They use old school images that are like, you know, black and white that really paint the Arab as the guy who lives in desert, who is far removed from technology, far removed from the world itself who's still living in the 6th century. Heck, even Adam made this point, literally. 
getting out of the sixth century. Then it's like it's like Arabs like you know only only existed during the time of the Prophet sallam, and since then they've been they've been remained frozen in time. We haven't done anything. Little little did we know like we invented algebra, we invented so many things that we use nowadays, like coffee and so on and so on. Like there are so many different things that came out from the Arab world. That without the Arab world, honestly, we would we wouldn't even be where we are today in, in this. But yeah, honestly, just to piggyback off that, honestly, um, this whole like we invented thing, I love it. I don't. I just like I'm at a point where I'm like I don't care, man. We yeah. have a morality that is far superior yes, than yours. I agree. And your inventions, my invention, sure, let your inventions be better. My morality is better than yours, man. I don't care. Like I'm a better 100%. human than you are. You invented yeah. stuff. Cool. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. The material versus the moral, right? Yeah. That's very. Have good your inventions. Point. Yeah, and then and that goes back to what we were talking about last time, right? With the whole secularism. There's a reason why secularism is the way it is. There's a reason why that's the Western system. It does benefit them in the grand scheme of things. It makes them look better because when you remove values, yeah, no doubt, you're looking at it from a very material perspective. Everything is going to look very shiny on a material perspective. But when you actually include the ethics, when you include all the morality in there, a lot of these aren't actually great. Let's be real. You can talk about how, for example, uh, it was a, a Jewish person who invented the nuclear bomb. Let's just say, right? Well, they might have invented the nuclear bomb, but that also caused tons of damage. Is that a moral invention necessarily? I would argue no. I personally would argue no, because that is the reason why we're literally always on the brink of World War III and on the brink of literally the world collapsing. <laughs> You know, so so you have to ask yourself these things. How, however, you know, when you talk about coffee, for example, as an invention, if you want to look at it that way, can you say it's morally impacting in any negative way or anything like that? Let's be real, man. It hasn't hasn't impacted anything or anyone negatively. In fact, it's actually boosted productivity and so on and so forth. So all I'm trying to say is that you can even go tit for tat on some of these things if you want. But to your point, you look at morality. That is what we should all be proud of as Muslims. As, as you know, the flag bearers of this morality, being Islam and, and, you know, just how we think, how we process information, how we process ethics and so on and so forth. We should honestly be super, super proud of that to your point. Awesome, awesome. All right. So there's a few more things here to discuss. Um, so you know how we're talking about who keeps them accountable, right? Um, you, you, I don't know if you saw this, but Senator uh, Bernie Sanders was trying to impose some sort of a law. Uh, where the money that goes to Israel would be binding um, in the sense that they would have to not commit whatever atrocities they are committing, um, and only then would they be given money, basically. Um, so that law got literally shot down. <laughs> so that didn't go anywhere. Um, which, honestly, I have my own issues with Bernie. The guy is, honestly, very two-faced in a lot of ways. I mean, the guy is, like, saying, you know, they have the right to self-defend, but then at the same time, look at what's happening. And then he wants to play the, I'm morally okay because I'm, you know, I'm trying to pass this law that's going to stop them. Clearly, the guy's trying to play both sides. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Abu? Like, it's, it's Bernie's kind a of shady so character, bad. man. I would stay far away from that guy. Anything he yeah, said, I no, I just that. would just discount him. Honestly, he's just not someone I trust. Um sad yeah he t he speaks out of both sides of his mouth so it's really sad because you know a few years ago when the whole trump was kind of like making his way and we had the whole hillary clinton and all that remember that whole thing and bernie sanders was killing it like he was popular popular and everyone wanted to be a bernie guy and 
vote for him. And when he got kind of screwed over, everyone was like, how dare you, you know, with the whole uh, Biden nomination and whatnot. Um, look at where we are now, unfortunately. It seems like his legacy is just sadly going to get worse and worse. Is what it is. Yeah. I, think, I mean, I think there's some justice there. <laughs> well, when I think of Bernie, I just think of that meme. And that's all I'll re- remember him for is he provided humanity with a meme. That's it. Like, <laughs> you talking about the one with the gloves? <laughs> that one. And then there's one where he's like on a chair by himself with the crowd. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the one. That's the yeah, one. There you go. <laughs> that's actually hilarious. Yo, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a video by Cat Williams. I don't know if you saw it where he spills no, the beans. No. no? Cat Williams it, is a comedian dude, right? Yeah, he's sick. I love him, but um, yeah, let's let's do that. It has a bit of language, but I think the okay. overall message is 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 nice and important. There's that, and okay, then so just a warning, guys. If you guys hear any swearing or anything like that, it's uh, Cat Williams, not us. Yeah. Here, uh, I'll share my screen, and then I'll be started. Let me know when you see it. Yeah. I don't hear the audio though. Yeah, it's chill. You see, you see it, right? Me for yeah. calling out Harvey Weinstein before the thing came out, but he offered to suck my penis in front of all my people at my agency. What am I supposed to do? He did all of that. I'm thinking I'm the only black person on the strip. I get there, it's three other black guys on there. Oh, you wonder what they told him no. What y'all do? And this is why when I walk in the room, heads go down. Behind my back, I'm nothing. I'm just a regular old comedian that's bitter and jealous. But in my face, no, no, no. The king has walked in and they have to respect it only because I've not taken the shortcuts. I've not been funded. They pay you to not talk about things they don't want you to talk about. They tell you that themselves. They've canceled me for talking. That's crazy. So this is like a recurring thing in Hollywood? I think it was more so... Uh, I think it was for Hollywood, yes. In, in the interview, he did mention movies as being part of it. And then he also... I think it was... I mean, is he a musician? I don't even know. But for sure, they promised him, like, yo, we'll give you riches, blah, blah, blah. And um, he said no. Whereas other peeps said Good yes. on him, man. It's like the Dave Chappelle thing, right? It's one of the same things. It's like they just threw a bunch of money at him for silence on certain topics and to make a mockery out of himself and his like you know identity uh and i think that was one of those things where he's like i'll never do that like there are certain things that he told, told himself he'll never do you know what i mean which is i think like dressed like a girl or something I, I forgot what it was but yeah it just goes to show that like these guys they're literally devils kind of like trying to get the worst out of human beings and people in power it's sad it's so sad man bro like for me it's crazy how um there's a few industries that the Zionists control and more and more people coming out of it saying, you know, like the people on the top here are disgusting. So, for example, media, music, mm-hmm. entertainment, um, and obviously tech is a massive one where these guys at the top are all Zionists. And, you know, some people come out and they speak and they say, um, you know, like there's messed up things happening. I just wonder, like, 
what's the extent of what we don't know i mean yeah must yeah be that's a very good point it's scary honestly it really is like i think even kanye like the guy i mean maybe his tactfulness wasn't the best but let's be real like the guy I pro- i'm pretty sure he has some truth in what he's saying like he's probably gone through it so he probably is speaking from from experience on his level and the elites there who control the music industry and and all of that side and what they put in contracts and i'm sure a lot of those things that he was mentioning was 100 percent factual and there was nothing wrong with that but now his whole message his whole thing is like you know cancel 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 like you're you're you know dead to us despite being literally one of the top recording artists or record sellers of our generation if you want to put it that way um so i think most most of the time i think maybe people do want to speak out but they just can't and when they do actually speak out they're turned into like these crazy people who are racist or whatever the case may be so that it just kills their yeah, gender. Well, what one Sad. thought I was having is how um, two things. The first one is Trump is, we don't know if he's, we don't know what his, um, we don't know the truth behind Trump, if he's a disgusting human being or if he actually has good intentions. But one thing is they are trying to um, like prosecute the guy and put him yeah. in jail. And for me, that's always a red flag when someone at that level, they're constantly after him. And then for me, yeah. I saw the same thing in the UK where the prime minister or whatever they have suddenly resigns and Rishi Sunak, who, you know, nobody elected him, just comes to power and he's just super pro-Zionist guy. And I'm just yeah, thinking to yeah. myself, I'm like, was did she choose to resign simply because there were things that she was asked to do that she didn't stand for? And like, there's yeah. just so many links. Um, yeah, man. It's just like, even who was it? Um, the New Zealand uh, prime minister recently resigned as well, right? Like, I don't know. There's a lot yeah. of sh- shady stuff happening. Just weird stuff. All there around. is. There really is. And that's the thing. The The story is never fully told, right? And we're never going to really ever find out what the true story is. But we just, we have to be convinced that things are happening in the background that we're not aware about that are literally shady dealings, to your point, where they silence people who are not, on the agenda <laughs> like yeah. clearly you know they're not they're not for it and so they're they, you know they're silencing them left right and center so that being said where does this whole thing go abu like where does this whole thing go like we're looking at it you know not going anywhere from israeli side we're looking at no accountability we're just looking at maybe the icj as the only accountable maybe the yemenis being the only people who are trying to hold israel to account uh, you have uh, Egypt, like I said, that are trying to facilitate the trade by opening up certain routes. You have Saudis who are saying after the war, they're still interested in uh, negotiations for normalization of relationship with Israel under certain conditions, of course. Um, like, where does this whole thing end? You know, like, do you think it's going to end soon? Do you think this is going to keep going for another few months? Honestly, interested to know your thoughts about this. Man, I hate to be a pessimist. Um, I feel like usually, I feel like it's always best to be an optimist because things usually turn out best. Like, for example, COVID. I mean, at the peak, man, we all thought the world was ending, right? Because that's how they made it sound. But, and usually, like, in any downturn, like during, you know, economic downturns, like recessions or depressions, things look really bleak. Um, my gut is telling me that things will not be the same this way but that's always the case uh i don't know man with palestine israel set uh, seems pretty set on not changing their path their people seem very set and they're not really 
um, standing up to the government. Are there a few protests? Sure. But like 90, 90 plus percent of Israelis are um, pro-Zionist and they're pro the agenda and, you know, they want to continue with whatever it is. So does it continue? I mean, inshallah, no, but uh, I don't, I, I don't see, I don't see a path where it doesn't continue and where we don't end up in like a, a world war or something. Way worse. Yeah. Like it keeps escalating. I mean, we yeah. were seeing that right with a lot of the attacks Netanyahu himself, what's really weird, and the reason why I brought this up is he mentioned that supposedly, and this, of course, I don't believe a word he comes out of his mouth, let's be real, but he says, you know, he's dismantled two-thirds of Hamas at this point. No, man, no way. Right? So does that is that his way of saying there's just a third left, meaning that, you know, if this, this war has taken, you know, 100 and some days, that there's about, you know, maybe another, you know, what is it, like, the... 50 days i guess left or something like that to, to complete the last third kind of thing um i don't know what are, what are your thoughts about that do you think this just goes on for another 50 days and then they finally like you know leave do they get this escalate to the point where it's a literally world war three in the region uh with iran getting involved the guy <laughs> what's so funny is the arrogance like you know we're talking about this this quality of netanyahu just sheer arrogance this sheer disregard to anything but israel or himself or his opinions but he himself now has admitted to a few things. Number one, he said that he is letting the minimum amount of aid into Gaza. That this is deliberate, this is a plan of his, just to make sure that it doesn't go out against them. That they can say that they're actually letting things in. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing that he mentioned is, they were asking him, uh, you know, why don't you attack Iran? He says, who says we're not attacking Iran? We are attacking them. Clearly showing that he is... In some ways, whether it's through the Basad, whether it's direct, whether indirect, whatever the case may be, he's got his proxies and he is causing damage at this moment, right? We have the front on Lebanon. So I guess my question is the following, right? Is it a matter of 50 days and that's it? And then, you know, a few years later, another thing happens. You get my point? Um, or is this one of those things that you feel is going to keep happening indefinitely? I like, um, I mean, it sounds like you're optimistic. Look, a lot of reports are saying that they are losing on the war front. We've seen videos where they're literally retreating. Obviously, I yeah. said I was pessimistic, but that, that definitely is a viable solution because a lot there's a lot of reports saying these guys are losing. And although they're killing civilians on the military front with Hamas, they're getting destroyed. So them saying two-thirds have been dismantled, you saying that that might be just another 50 days. Um, that sounds like probably the most possible solution is they're just going to retreat and claim it a victory to save face. But if that happens, it doesn't mean Gaza gets any better, though. Like, they're... That's reality. Allahu Alam, but like, maybe they've orchestrated a downward spiral where it can never go back to what it was or, you know, hard to say. What, what do you guys think about him and his own people? Like, there are tons of protests as well in Tel Aviv um that are trying to really remove him from power uh there are an increasing amount of people who do want to cease fire who want this because the economy is just getting just destroyed on all levels over there right now in israel uh there's a few things right i i know netanyahu himself like i said he doesn't really care right he even said like we shouldn't even have elections because it's it's only going to harm our efforts to destroy hamas and blah 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 so the guy's doing anything he can to stay in power very, very clearly, right? You can tell. Um, 
do you guys feel like maybe there is a chance for people from the inside to actually, you know, change things? Or, you know, do you feel like, to your point, when you were mentioning about Zionism wanting this agenda, like, do you think that they'll just keep Netanyahu in power? Or will they just replace him and put someone else, but they'll just kind of keep doing it, but maybe quietly, right? Where every leader has been worse than the last. I remember when I was a child watching the TV when, like, you know, in in the year two thousand or whatever, like there was some crazy stuff happening. It was Shalom or whatever back then. Yeah, they've Shalom, all yeah. been disgusting. Um, so I like like I said, man, ninety percent of them are pro Zionist. They won't have any trouble finding people who are extremists like Netanyahu and replacing him if they need. And at the end of the day, if they do replace him, it's just a political stunt to yeah say like, oh, we're gonna change, blah blah, blah and then they'll just go back to their ways, recover and stuff. There was something in uh, Bassam's last like conversation, the one we were talking about with Adam, where he mentioned something about one of the Israeli leaders who was maybe a little bit uh, better. Ravine. I, I don't know his name. I'm not sure. Maybe you guys know more. And he was part of some of the accords in like yes, the yes, would probably been Isaac. Yeah. And then supposedly he uh, was unalived like, yeah. shortly after, right? Yeah. So again, was that uh, was he? potentially an Abdullah, maybe like, again, this is before our time, right? Like this is before we were even born. But um, do you know if there was any positive around him being prime minister or his prime ministership? Like there was some positive movement or something that would kind of insinuate uh, a better future. And maybe that's why he was removed in a more permanent way. Yeah. I don't know enough about it. So that's why I guess I would be asking. Yeah, so Isaac Ravine was one of those who were actually working uh, with, uh, at the time, uh, so uh, yeah, Isaac Ravine, Abraham, I think... Abraham Accords was, I believe. At the Abraham Accords, that's right, yeah. And and, and he was working with uh, Yasser Arafat, if I'm not mistaken. They were literally very close to actually getting something signed. Uh, and then he literally got uh, assassinated um, in 1995. Um, and so what ended up happening is that literally everything got dismantled, nothing ever happened out of it. Uh, and people say that he was actually assassinated by someone who was politically motivated because of Netanyahu's right wing rhetoric. Um, so in fact, a lot of people never really liked Netanyahu as a result of that because they saw, uh, Rabin as a guy who was actually a unifier, uh, and someone who was actually a positive force in the current, you know, mess of mess of things in, in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, so, yeah, uh, to your point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to think of this. Like, is it just like, you know, <laughs> the same situation like, you know, uh, Ben Israel with uh, with their prophets? You know, it's like, you know, we don't we don't like what you say. So let's just, uh, you know, kill you literally or, or alive you to keep doing what we want to do. You know what I mean? It, it seems to be the case unfortunately, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic in the sense that I want there to be some sort of relief, at least in the coming time, like for sure permanent one, but at least temper, whether it's, you know, a few months, a year, whatever it is for the Palestinians to just, you know, catch a break. Cause subhanAllah, like living in under these conditions is and, it's literally and, hell on earth, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's, 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 it's crazy. SubhanAllah. I know we didn't talk about this, but what what are what are your thoughts on the idea of a one-state solution, in which there's a unifying passport that's handed to everyone within its borders, 
Um, there are no discriminatory laws between uh, Christians and Muslims, you know, where they're getting, you know, kind of a lesser than treatment. There aren't yeah. subdivisions of areas where you can't buy housing because you're, you know, they need to maintain a certain number. Um, so what, what, what is, do you think that is at all a possibility? And what do you think of that possibility? Well, there's where, no, there's no world thoughts? in where that happens. A unifying passport? There, there's no world in which that happens. These, like, first of all, they're teaching their children that we are beneath them. And mm -hmm. then their laws already, if you look at the West Bank, where there's no Hamas, there's nothing. They've already put like gigantic walls that go seven meters in the ground, seven meters above the grounds, and around the entirety of West Bank to block people. So it's, it's a very apparent apartheid system. They have no intent of... Um, two-state solution or even sorry there's no intent of a one-state solution where people coexist there's zero of that uh, zero. There's, there's many videos where people are um, like palestinians are being beaten in the street for just walking in the same area and they shouldn't be yeah. because they should be on the other side of the wall <laughs> like um nor what, what, you, what you were saying is actually quite interesting so I, I thought about it a little bit more most likely actually what you're saying makes a lot of sense if if the war stops they save face that might be why they're wanting the border because at that point they control literally everything they control yeah. the, the Rafah border they control the other border they control the sea at that point it's it's as much of a prison as possible like before the Pretty egyptian much. border had stuff flowing more through it but at this point you control literally everything you can control what they build at that point you can control the materials that are coming there they can systematically just cool you don't want the genocide real fast we'll do the genocide real slow yeah, 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 no, definitely. And that's the thing, like, they are working towards a scenario or a construct of sorts where they literally do control everything and they just suffocate these Palestinians fully. Like, they literally force them to submit. And that's why a lot of times, like, you know, these <laughs> these guys who, like, the Zionists who kind of come in and they're like, well, why did they get all these, like, this money and they built tunnels and everything? I'm like, guys, are you serious? Do you really feel like they just got money and they just built funnels instead of buying all these things and building bunkers, you think the guys who control the border would let those materials even come into the country so they can even build these things to begin with? That's why they built the tunnels. Partly it was because they wanted a way or a mechanism to smuggle certain things inside because they wouldn't even be allowed. Hell, they have a caloric like diet restriction from, from the IDF where they control how, much, how many calories are consumed in Palestine on, you know, on a daily to monthly or whatever basis. Like, if a body is trying to control that, like there was a need for these tunnels to begin with. But to your point, uh, Danielle, what we we're talking about earlier about the one state solution, I think realistically, like that would have been a solution that would have been great had the second party who is in this equation actually wanted it. And in this case, it's very clear to Abu's point that there is no motivation to work towards that. Zero, zero motivation whatsoever to work towards that. They want the Palestinians to be that lesser people who are in their place. In fact, they don't even want them there to begin with. They want them out. Heck, Theodore Herzl himself, right, the founder of Zionism, if you want to call him that, his whole thing within his own uh, diary and, and even with his, you know, his whole thing within his private diaries was suffocate them economically. So even from its inception, Zionism was to remove Palestinians, to keep the Jews only, and make it a Jewish-only state, like an ethno-state. And it's always been that that was their agenda. It's just the methodology 
was different. That's the key here. The methodology before was just a non-violent methodology. Nowadays, the methodology is a violent methodology. But the end result is the same. The motivation is the same. Ethnically cleansing the Palestinians from their own lands. Right? And that's, that's, that's the key here. So when you have two parties and they're not working towards the same solution, it's impossible to get that. It's, it's literally impossible to Abu's point. Um, yeah, anyhow, that being said, I mean, it's just unfortunate because the damages are, are continuing. I think I read a, a report that said like miscarriages in Gaza skyrocketed or something like that to like 300%, uh, which is so unfortunate, subhanAllah. Like, you know, how sad is that? I think there's only six functional hospitals in all of Gaza now, like no, no, no. all of it. Uh, isn't that ambulances, bro? Yeah, like, I mean, like in all of it, yeah. like to some extent functional. I think before there were 36. Now there's like maybe six that are somewhat functioning in the south, not in the north or in the mid, like literally by Rafa. Uh, Insane, man. And they're, they're clinics, like they're not, <laughs> they're not like actual, uh, you know, crazy hospitals that you would think. Um, Another one of those was they blew up like the the universities. I don't know if you guys saw yeah. that. Uh, I'm gonna play this video. This this is definitely something to watch, right? So this is uh, the press briefing. Uh, you guys know Miller, who's uh, the department press briefer for for the United States. Um, here, I'm gonna show you guys what he had to say with regards to the university being blown up. This guy's a tool, bro. I have to find the clip. You can okay. go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Matt. Uh, Israel yesterday, the Israeli military occupied and destroyed the Israel University in Gaza. I mean, this is probably number 10 of all 10 universities that they have destroyed. And is it the assessment of this department or this government that this was a legitimate target? So I can't speak to this uh, individual action. I don't have in independent information to verify that, but I can say that we continue to urge Israel uh, to avoid damage to critical infrastructure. Um, mm -hmm. That would of course include universities and to ensure the protection of humanitarian and medical sites. That has been something we have urged from the outset of this conflict. I, I, I will give the make the point that I always make that it is very difficult. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about this particular site because I don't have information about this mm -hmm. particular site, but it is always difficult when you see Hamas yeah. use those civilian in, uh, uh, sites to uh, hide its fighters, to launch attacks on Israel, but it doesn't change the burden that Israel has yeah. to comply with international humanitarian law and avoid strikes, avoid military action against humanitarian infrastructure. But there, you know, there seems to be no evidence that there were any fighters, in fact, you know, any presence of a, any kind of military presence in the university itself but that i mean uh, we've seen I mean, you keep saying that you want israel not to destroy the infrastructure yet we have seen almost the total destruction of all infrastructure including schools hospitals roads you know cemeteries you know they just you know they they excavated the cemetery for instance and took bodies whatever i mean th this is not exactly uh tell us in any way that the government of Israel is really paying heed to what you tell them, you know, in, in any way, by any measure. They're not listening to you. 
So we have seen them take some steps uh, to, uh, to add civilian infrastructure to deconfliction sites. Um, there are other things that we have urged them to do that we want them to do better on. Uh, it is an ongoing conversation between our two governments uh, and something that the secretary spoke directly with the leadership of Israel in his trip last week. But again, there is also this problem that uh, Hamas does continue to hide in and under civilian infrastructure. So when you see uh, a strike against any one civilian piece of civilian infrastructure to assess the validity of that strike, you have to know what it is that was there. And we don't always know that yeah. uh, when I'm, at least I don't know that when I'm speaking from here. Anyways, all this to say that he's making the excuse that there might be something under this university. <laughs> and that's why they had every right to do what they did and literally go against humanitarian laws. I don't know, guys. Like, to me, when stuff like this happens, when and you can see the media is clearly pushing back against this guy. Uh, and, and, you know, they're asking for answers. They want answers to what's happening. And they just can't get them because they're just getting these mental gymnastics of Hamas uses, you know, civilian sites. And that's why we're allowed. And that's why they should have every right to... Yeah, man, it's 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 sad, but it's one of those things that is going to keep furthering the damage that is being done right now in Gaza with full green carte blanche or whatever you want to call it, green light to to keep decimating Gaza. Like it's it's sad. It really is sad. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> hey, girl, I was waiting for you. Um... So I was waiting for you as well. A separate point that I wanted to add on to that, but um, yeah, go for it. Look, the only thing I'll say is I feel we're at a point where um, both parties are coming to it. All right, the reporter is there with his question. Um, the the turd bag on the other side is there with his canned answers, and it's a yeah. theatrical play where it's like, let me see who can do their part better. And the guy who represents the White House is there, like you know, he probably practiced his lines in the mirror for you know the whole week and it's just a matter of all right can i do my lines properly and everyone knows you know i know you know that i know you know that like, you know that whole thing so it's just it's it's a it's a mockery at this point of like their entire system it is like it's a joke it is it is and i think increasingly it is i actually felt like the press secretary was caught a little off guard because he wasn't expecting it you could see him mm -hmm. fumbling a little bit and like his job is literally to be not caught off guard and and, and he, he, it felt like he was um but <clears throat> unfortunately it's just one of those things where he's just giving the canned like you know boilerplate response that you mm -hmm. give to this where look we're so sorry i know that it was a playground and there was literally a child swinging on it but there could be some kind of infrastructure that you know that that's of military nature right they had yeah. a swing it's steel they could convert that steel into a tank Right. Literally. You want that tank to now <laughs> you know, be on their side. So I guess like it's it's to what extent they can really push this. But it is a very boilerplate response, whether it's a playground, whether it's university, whether it's a hospital, like a hospital has like scalpels. Right. And those can be knives. So you never weapons ever really know. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just like, how far do you keep using the same retired argument? The thing is, most people are not buying it anymore. Right. They're really not. I mean, there's a poll that just showed uh, recently how much global support Israel has lost, right, um, since October the 7th. So, you know, initially it had a favorability of, I, I can't remember how many exactly, but it's dropped, I think, 41 points to negative. Like, oh, sorry, 
So it says in Egypt, the U.S. went from having a positive favorability of 41.1 to a negative favorability of minus 14.9. Just that, just an example. In Saudi, it went from 12.2 to minus 10.5. So in most places in the world, um, Israel and, and the U.S. have completely lost support since October the 7th. Like you just see this where they had all-time high and just go whew, all the way crashing down losing all the support that they possibly could have to now most of it being negative. You know, we're seeing the response, right? How do you guys feel about, you know, what's happening right now with just the censorship overall? Like we're seeing a huge amount of um, Israeli tech giants or tech millionaires kind of come together, uh, put a lot of money into censorship, literally buying these um, automations or systems, whatever you want to call it, that, essentially censor Palestinian or pro-Palestine support uh, and, and even silence any negative Israeli stuff. So like what I mean is that there are a lot of videos that the IDF is posting themselves, soldiers, of atrocities that they're committing in real time. And a lot of these are being hushed-hushed and, you know, deleted off the web and just to kind of not, you know, be shared and, and to promote the, the pro-Palestinian voices. Hey, you can go ahead. Yeah, I, like I'm not as let's say privy to that censorship. I, from my understanding, I, I I have heard or read that at least on legacy media there is a very obvious disparity between what's being shown and what's not being shown. Right in terms of yeah. favoritism, it might be I don't know like a seventy thirty split. Right, fate in the favor of one side, whereas on let's say social media or newer age digital media. Uh, you're seeing the the mass and the youth generally very heavily resonate towards yeah. Palestinian side, um, and that's again beyond from what I've heard of like shadow banning and beyond beyond all of those like barriers that are naturally being added. There's still a very very clear indication that from a social and digital media perspective that is user driven, and that is on the ground level. There it's it's very clear that you know there's a, there's a disparity. But then where you have more regulated and infrastructured media outlets, you know, the disparity is flipped. So you can tell yeah. that what's really happening on the ground level is not what's being communicated in general. That's, that's my conclusion. Regardless of the censorship or something, there is a clear disparity between what's happening on the ground and what we're actually seeing day to day. Uh, yeah. I think I saw literally someone study this to see um, the relationship between deaths or new deaths and how much it was being mentioned in the media or some of the stuff that was happening to Palestinians, Israelis, and then how much. And I think Israelis were getting mentioned like 20 times more on average. Israelis were 20 times more important um, than Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, and in, importance you're deriving from, for each one mention of Palestinian, you're getting 20 mentions of Israel? More or less, yeah. I don't remember specifically whether it was like a yeah. death, an injury, what it was, but mm. it was something to that effect. I'd have to pull it up. Yeah, it's very, very likely the case. I mean, look, so this is on legacy media, which I think we're all in accordance. Like we see this happening. Um, what about big tech? We're talking like, you know, uh, Meta, um, TikTok, all of these things. So there, there is a big push to kind of ban TikTok. It's been the case since COVID because it's been an increasing source of this unity for the agenda that they're looking to push. Um, so COVID time, they wanted to push all this, like, you know, 
get vaccinated, mass mandate, all of this stuff. The TikTok community was one of the first ones to like push against this whole ideology, right, of uh, social isolation and all that stuff and really pushing against that, you know, not to say whether it's right or wrong. I'm not, you know, that's not the point. The point is that it was a platform that was used to um, communicate an opposing view to a view that the government wants to use. Same goes right now with Israel-Palestine. The overwhelming majority on TikTok is pro-Palestine content. That's that's the reality of it. Um, and you have people like Nikki Haley, for example, one of their core, uh, you know, let's say mandates in running for presidency is that they're going to ban TikTok and completely remo remove it and so on and so forth. Uh, or at least, you know, have some sort of idea attached to it so that there's like legal repercussions if need be to like, you know, freedom of speech, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but here's an article right here um, that talks about specifically uh, a small group of volunteers from Israel's tech sector right here that is working tirelessly to remove content it says doesn't belong on platforms like Facebook and TikTok. So this is someone who is, it's, it's a project called Iron Truth, and they are working with big tech to get access to these things, whether it's to get access to algorithm, whatever the case may be, to silence those um, those videos. So a lot of them, as it says over here, roughly a thousand posts tagged by its members as false, anti-Semitic, or pro-terrorist across platforms such as X, YouTube, and TikTok. So these are guys who are basically uh, a small group of people who come up with a system of sorts where um, they just use, with with the help of big tech, use this type of tech or whatever it is to mass report videos and to just destroy, delete content as much as they can. You know what's interesting is, uh, do, you, do you guys know how the Iron Dome works? Yeah. So there's like, they're like there's these scattered machines right they're like portable machines that they can move around and they more or less can detect stuff in the sky and what they'll they'll calculate at what speed it's going and then it'll launch a missile to intercept it and that's pre pretty much how the iron dome is it's not an actual dome it's more or less these portable things that make a circle and it calculates the distance and it shoots a missile and it intercepts missile and the, the irony is with iron truth is it's these social media things that are you know yeah. all over the web and it's Let's intercept whatever it is we want to intercept. And it's like, bro, their branding is on point. I'll give it to them, man. Iron Dome, Iron Truth. Iron I, I mean, everything. <laughs> what's the next one? <laughs> uh, it's just sad. But that's that's just to show you how much like they've lost support. And they're really in that uh, damage control phase where they're trying everything they can to mitigate some of this damage, right? And if it's banning outright social media platforms, then they'll do that. If it's creating or advocating with some of these tech giants to kind of like remove or silence pro-Palestinian voices, then they'll do that. Clearly it's happening, right? We've seen it with uh, Sean King's um, uh, Instagram, who's one of the main voices for for Palestine um, over the, the past hundred days, and he got his whole account removed. We're finding it, um, I think some people have received threats, like Omar Suleiman, Khalid Beydoun, a lot of these like big, big people who have done a lot uh, for this cause, completely get their accounts either banned or, or you know, sanctioned or whatever the case may be. I don't know, man. Like, I feel like it's it's just so sad that we live in a world where freedom of speech is only applicable when it suits, once again, the agenda of the elite. Bro, Twitter, which was supposed to be uh, the freedom of speech one, they're now doing the same thing, where accounts that are pro Palestinian are suddenly, and there's a lot of them, and they've all reported literally the same thing. They've reported like 
massive drops in terms of how many people are seeing their posts. So you're seeing 50%, which means half of the people that normally see their posts are looking at them. And they're seeing 51% engagement, which basically means it's the, the most engaged users are the ones seeing the post. So it's not serving, it's not expanding the audience as it normally yeah. does. Well, what that does is it just limits the awareness of how many people who are in the middle or who are on the opposite spectrum who would perhaps consider a different viewpoint than the one they're fed um, through mm -hmm. whatever Fox News, CNN, blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah, Twitter is starting to do it and they were supposed to be the freedom uh, or the, the right. free speech um, platform. Obviously, Instagram's doing it. Um, man, even TikTok, man. I, I started doing TikToks that was going okay and then boom, one shot, zero views. Even my dad was telling me, he was telling mm -hmm. me um, his comments are all getting banned now. And all he does is just like say stuff about Palestine. He, his comments they, they've been deleted like out of nowhere they're just yeah yeah no there is that there it is happening to like reverse the hack and like you know like let's say if they're if they're if they're banning the idea of like tags yes right maybe you can like have like a, other tags you call it like <laughs> call it like peanut butter and there's like this widespread thing of just like you know peanut yeah. butter being but that's literally what they did with palestine instead of palestine yeah, they, they put did. a watermelon watermelon instead yeah oh, and then that <laughs> the israelis would try to culturally appropriate that being like did you know that israel's one of the main export is you know watermelon <laughs> even though it's literally a palestinian thing it's so it's so ridiculous but it's so funny you like to try to do that <laughs> literally no but you know what to your point danielle there was a guy um on tiktok who who's very very vocal uh and he there was a website um I forgot what it was called. It was called like Words of Iron or something like that. Uh, another one of these texts where you can go in and it just plays pro-Palestinian videos. And there is a report button for you to just make it very easy. And it automates the report, the reporting of it. And they did that. And, and then they have another version of it where they pro, put pro-Israeli videos and they give you the same buttons. Really, really dumb, honestly, to have both those buttons show up for both types of videos. Uh, that was actually something that uh, the pro-Palestinian voices did. They actually got together. They're like, let's go on the Israeli videos and mass report that so that we literally break the logic and the algorithm. And that's exactly what happened. Now that website is useless. Literally, it doesn't even work anymore. Wow. That's yeah. Funny. So there is, there is definitely a lot of that, like, you know, on-ground activism that's happening, which is really, really cool to see in, in real time. But um, it just goes to show that, you know, you're dealing with people who are volunteering their own time. You have also another part of this where it's a state-backed, state-funded activism, which is the Hasbara, the whole, uh, you know, uh, this whole thing. I'm sure they got paid millions of dollars from the government to be like, work with these tech giants and figure something out. You get my point? Where we need to do some damage control. The, the biggest thing that I have to mention to this, and I'm, I'm going to ask you guys this question. If this is happening with current censorship me mechanisms in place, how much do you think is the real quantity of posts that are being shared online? How much is actually being filtered out? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't Can know. you imagine the scope of that? Yeah. Like if we're getting a million videos... Does that mean there were like 10 million videos to begin with? Right? That's insane if you think about it. That's actually insane. This is post all of this oh, and we're okay. still getting that. Yeah. That's that's actually insane. Abud, what are you what are your thoughts about that? 
Hmm. That's an interesting one because um, clearly for both of us, they were TikTok slowed down our growth to zero. Yeah, like we went from several thousand views. Is that our... still ongoing, by the way? Like, do you, are you guys still posting at all? And is is are from you time still... to time? And, and time to time, the views still just aren't aren't hitting in the way they were before. Definitely, yeah. That that is a definite. Like to give you an example, by the way, so TikTok, Noor explained this to me. TikTok, what it does, and it's a really good system. Uh, you post content and it tests it really quickly. It'll give you 100 or 200 views real fast. And it'll do this A-B test where it's like, well, how many people are watching? What's the engagement? And it'll either kill it fast or promote it real fast. So it needs a, just a bare minimum. Usually it's 100, 200, 300 views and it's good. My views have been getting, my, my videos have been getting zero views. Sometimes oh, so too. it's not even going through the A-B test. Not even. So it's, it's, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. On Instagram, I started losing followers pretty quickly, like noticeably, which is really weird because usually they don't go down that fast. Uh, my posts, they don't get as many uh, shares, as many likes, etc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty shady stuff happening. Um, Noor, to answer your question, I think if I had to guess, man, ballpark, I would say like anywhere between three and five X. So like we're, we're seeing only 20% of what we would otherwise see. That's crazy. That's actually crazy. That means if there's a million videos that are being shared on a day-to-day -day basis that we're seeing, there's probably 5 million of that. That's, that's actually insane when you put figures to it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's unheard of. Yeah. It's crazy. Like this is how much damage we're doing despite, you know, these forces being against us. I know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the disparity at that point, right? Cause now mm -hmm. imagine right now, let's say on, on the ground level or TikTok, it's like, you know, it's eight to one, you know, in terms of in favor of, or being pro Palestine, right. Or, yeah. or calling it what it is. And now imagine that that eight only represents 20%. Um, so really the ratio will be, will be quite significant. You're talking 40 to one. Um, in terms of disparity, that's after any, any it's a big amount. I'm assuming there's also stuff on the other side where it's like, if there's filtering on one end, there might be like augmentation mm -hmm. or double dipping on the other end, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to make it say like, I don't know, let's say there's like 9 million mentions of a specific word or something. Well, then there's going to be, they're going to, they're going to inflate that number too. So I think the disparity is, is quite a bit wider than, than we would perceive. Yeah. And to people who say like, hey, you know, the solution to this is Muslims opening up their own social media. I think the most important thing here to note is that I don't believe that that is the situation or the solution. Because really at the source, the OS is still going to decide which apps go through and which apps don't go through. What I mean to say by this is if Apple decides to be like, well, your app is uh, anti-Semitic or whatever the case may be, they're going to kill it off. If Google Play wants to say, hey, you know, you guys are this or that, they're going to kill it off. So there's going to be this 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 reality that I think Muslims have to be aware of and any activist, really. I think it would be too much of an investment for a potential on and off switch to just create our own platforms. If we really want to go beyond that, I think people need to create their own OS, like their own operating system, literally. Like that's the only solution or changing the leadership of these current existing ones and ridding them from that Zionist belief, in my opinion, or Zionist like, you know, alignment. Um, so yeah, your thoughts about this, guys. Do you guys agree with that? Or do you guys think, no, like there's still a benefit in creating our own platforms and 
you know, where we can share our our truths and 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 so on. I think I think what you're saying is valid. Uh, one thing I heard was uh, there was like a, you know, how you you don't know which products are to be boycotted and which are not. You know, there's, there's a massive list. Well, I, I'm pretty yeah. I'm fairly certain I heard that there were several apps that were taken down because it was against like you know Apple policy or yeah. whatever. So yeah, I don't know I don't know if a Muslim gram would work real well. <laughs> No, I agree. I think I read some of those uh, articles as well. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, Abu. I think in, in general, um, it's not just building your own app, right? It would be building your own infrastructure because yeah, yeah, at exactly. the end of the day, the app has to be used on an Android or an Apple phone, right? Like yeah, when you yeah. think of other countries that have done something to your, like China has their own operating system, right? Like yeah. their phones have their, I don't know what the companies are, but Huawei, like I don't know if it's Huawei or Huawei, yeah. yeah they Huawei, have a few of them. They have their own proprietary operating systems even if you go to uh, i'm going to think of another example, russia you know i'm sure they have their own kind of app operating systems or they have their own stores they have their own brands like it mm -hmm. has to really be a ground up rebuild it can't yep. be oh yeah you know download it on the apple store because it's just gonna get it's gonna get it's gonna get taken down that's, you know, what, we have that's to literally do, what they did here by the way in qatar um they yeah. don't buy Coke anymore. They don't buy Pepsi. They literally made a Pepsi in Qatar and, and a Coke. In Qatar. They made all these variants. It's called Double Up. Amazing. Um, Double Up? Yo, yeah. I love that name. That's yeah. sick. They even <laughs> they even made, uh, instead of Red Bull, they made um, Boom. I love it. Oh, let me show you. Nice. nice. Honestly, it's my favorite. <laughs> Dude, that's sick. But that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. We got to go back to being like the innovators, being the guys who don't just like put our necks down to these people's feet like it's it's not no, right and to, to to further that point you can't really you can't nice. really do that from canada you know that's sick no for sure but at the same time like we got to maybe invest or something because look this is what's happening yeah, look, time uh, and time again you look up uh russian mcdonald's as well like i remember they had they yeah, created this is their own sick. version boom, boom, boom. yeah when when mcdonald's uh like said hey no russian, more or russian whatever mcdonald's yeah russian yeah alternative yeah exactly Vukushka, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I said that pretty well. Honestly, you probably did. Probably, probably. <laughs> or there's a lot of people offended. Yeah, very, very likely. What if two things just happened? <laughs> uh, images, I think, I think, like they actually like really mimicked it very, like very directly. Man, that's actually really, really cool. Oh, you know what? A, that, that's what it takes. Yeah, that's yeah, literally yeah. what it takes. That's what they did, yeah, with the B or something like that. I remember looking at this. Turned the M into a B. That's mm -hmm. actually very. That's, that's sick, like man. a spit in the face. That's <laughs> like a little spit in the face. That's actually crazy. But honestly, that's why China is so... And look, they've gotten so big where where Western things are adapting to the Chinese market. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, you know, we're talking about video games. We're talking about um, uh, movies, literally, where they have to, like, still try to make it appealing so they can't have certain things that they would otherwise have in the Western market because the Chinese market would reject it. Right, things like, for example, homosexuality. Like, there's a threshold of how much is allowed in certain movies for it to actually be in the Chinese market, so that they can actually reap the benefits of those markets. And some movies do well just because on the Chinese market they gross like you know mil millions and millions to the point where they hit billions. Like Venom was a was an example of that where it bombed in the in the Western world, but in in the Middle East and and in China it did amazing numbers. To the point where it grossed one of like one of the higher grossing uh, movies of of Sony uh, Entertainment, uh, so that's kind of what we have to do, right? We got to become so big where they'll adapt. And Saudi has done to some extent. I mean, I don't know how 
I'm yeah, not I want sure to show this. Uh, Noor. What is Everything this? Everything you're saying on point, but um, my brother rented a Chinese car Cheap in Qatar, and they're really popular okay. here. I want to just give you guys, uh, yeah, yeah. I want to give you guys just a quick view on like what the Chinese are doing to literally replace okay. everything that we're doing here. So this is, I'm fairly sure this is what he rented. Um, this is exactly like what an X4 would be. So it's fully equipped, um, fully equipped, equivalent to like a BMW. Yeah, an X4 has a BMW's two liter. It's 235 horsepower. Bro, if I show you, with, they literally even copied the look of it the looks like BMW. It, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say. Let that. me show you. <laughs> it looks like it. It's an uncanny resemblance. Geely. So okay, yeah. So this is it's exactly this is exactly what you rented. How much do you guys think the cost of this is? And I want to. I want the next <sighs> question I have is why don't we have this in Canada yet? It's ridiculous. So okay, give me give me a benchmark for because again I don't know the prices. So how much is a BMW X4 in Qatar. Assume that a BMW, like, okay, maybe we can do it in Canadian reference. So, yeah, let's just say, assume, say Canadian dollars. Yeah, a BMW X4, call it, is all 70, all yeah, 70, call it 75,000 Canadian, yeah. right? So, you're saying what the equivalent, what this would be? Yeah. I would call it maybe 60 to like undercut it by, by a significant right? mark. I was in the car yeah. with my brother and he asked me, I'm like, I'll pay 60 for this. All right, so, all right, let's see. This is what and I would costs. say do the ratio because maybe a BMW in Qatar is more expensive. No way. No, no, no. You're exaggerating. No. 36? No. Wow. No, 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 no. Okay, no, no, no. it's starting from it's starting, but bro. But do 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 the ratio. So how much is an X4? Let's say we do an X4 in Yeah, let's Qatar, go on the X4. Right? Oh, okay. I'll I'll go BMW Qatar. Qatar, yeah. Cause then we can actually do dollars, they're like, you know, apples to apples. Let's see right here. Yeah, I wonder what the like. I can actually check on my end just how much the Canadian one is. All right, the X four. I think it's like seventy. The X four is yeah is, is starting at 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 sixty Canadian. But fully that's twenty five k down. Like that's starting at sixty. That's a lot. And this one is starting at thirty six thousand dollars or ninety nine thousand reals. Yeah, I'm insane. telling you, I drove it. It was incredible. Um, for me, the space was an issue, but the X four would be the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it was quite. Uh, and they're known to be like. And if you go to the next one, that's probably an X five, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's nice. Yeah. It's just, it's just, that's what I mean by like, we have to be those, those guys. Look, with Saudi, with the WWE, which is the world wrestling entertainment, right? These guys are doing, I think, two shows a year in, in Saudi. I think one happens sometime, you know, in spring and then one happens sometime in, in like, uh, November or October, usually. Anyhow, all this to say that when the female wrestlers go there, they need to cover so they actually wear like long sleeve shirts and pants and they they don't wear what they would normally wear in the western world and they're happy to conform despite you know the feminist movement being like what are you guys doing there this is against like every progress that we've done they're looking at it like no we're bringing progress to the middle east like it was a kind of distorted distorted way of looking at things but 
to Saudi's point, like they're bringing these things in, although, you know, honestly, like this is not what Saudi should be doing, but they're bringing these things in and they're getting that adapted to them, to their, to their parent. The last thing I would want though, is for this to be a part of Saudi's plan to be like, you know, in two years, now they're able to wrestle in short sleeves. And then years after that, it's like now they're able to wrestle in shorts. And then a couple years after that, China isn't doing that, is my point. It's not like they're conforming to the Western rules and they're bringing them in with hopes to westernize. They're not. I feel like when Arabs are doing it, unfortunately, it is to westernize. Like we're trying to become like the West and not actually be an example for the West. This is actually maybe a, a, a bigger topic, but do you guys think that we're in a post-empire world? I don't know if that yes. makes Do you think now the idea of like an empire, right? Let's let's call it the Western Empire. We'll call it the States, UK, whatever whatever it is you want to call it. Right, every empire eventually, whether it's five hundred years, whether it's a thousand years, whether it's fifteen hundred years, eventually will collapse, and something else will replace it. When you think of Mongolia, you think of Roman, you think of Byzantine, you think of the Ottoman. Anything that you think of lasts a few centuries, maybe a millennia, and then it it, it dwindles away, or it becomes a, a, a you know like a, a fraction of what it used to be. Three hundred years ago. Portugal was a superpower, like a superpower that no, like, wow, it's Portugal, you know? And now it's, it's still obviously a, a prominent economy, but it, it's not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So do you think now with the advent of globalization, with the advent of nuclear warfare, do you think we're at the end of a empire phase where eventually things will change and another superpower will take over and whether it's a century or two, or do you think now you know, what's what's there is there. Now it's going to be America, China, uh, you know, and then maybe some other European countries and then, you know, a couple of G7 members to along for the ride. I think it's unfolding in front of our eyes right now. That's for sure. I do believe that. I do believe we're seeing the end of the U.S. empire in front of our eyes right now. Would there be a one event that makes it clear? Like, for example, what what usually I would go by is uh, military prowess or military capability sure so the most the most capable nation on earth is the empire mm-hmm. and i'm not convinced that anybody's more powerful than the u.s right now by, by, no, you're by right. long margin but it's it's it is unfolding it is definitely unfolding we're seeing more and more a push towards um a, a push moving away from the u.s dollar for example with this whole BRICS, uh you know this 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 currency that is being pushed by China, by Russia. Uh, they're, you know, Saudi, for example, is one of those that is considering membership within the BRICS. Um, a lot, a lot of countries have been offered to, you know, kind of jump on, on board. That is a big threat to what is the superpower from a financial or economic standpoint, right? That's one of the big ones. That's a very big sign. We're looking at just GDP overall, like overall Right, year over year, China's somehow really upping the trend. While as the U.S., I mean, with all the good that they're doing, for sure, is still like still doing quite well, uh, but definitely on the decline compared to you know, especially in the last like couple three uh, two or three years compared to before, like rate of growth. Um, 
So there are there are certain uh, I want to say indicators that are showing that right now at the moment. Um, but I don't know big events. It's hard to say honestly. It's hard to say. I don't know that it would be as clear as that. I think if yeah. even there was, the U.S. would do anything to kind of drown that out. Keep in mind when we think of big events at that scale, it's not like a one day or a one yeah, week or exactly. one year, right? Like you're talking about centuries. So a big event can happen over a ten year period, right? Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. over these ten years you know, the economy wasn't great. Or this 50-year period, like, let's say you look at three, 400 years ago, you had the Ottoman Empire, you had, you know, let's say France, uh, the British, Portuguese, um, and Turkey, and like Ottomans. Like that was, those were like the superpowers three, 400 years ago. Yeah. And then it wasn't like one swift move. It was slowly but surely, um, things kind of started to shift. Even for America, I think the main shift was probably in the early 20th century where you had uh the industrial revolution right that was okay now now this is everyone else like boom we've really made a gap for ourselves and we've helped some of our partners or, along with it right mm -hmm. uh, but america as, as a whole is, isn't particularly what is it 1776 so you're talking not even 250 years old right now yeah you know um if my man yeah 250 years old so that's like a third of what the Ottoman Empire did um, in terms of in terms of time and, and probably not as much land. And again, I know they're probably much stronger than all the other ones were at this time because they just have so much firepower and so their their military is so strong. So that's where the question comes: Is the are we in the middle of it? Are we you know towards the end of it, or are we just in a post empire world because globalization has now made it so that things just won't fall like they used to? Mm, that's a good point. I don't know. I guess it. I, I guess there's a lot of factors, and Abu, maybe you can share your thoughts as well. But um, I think you can kind of see signs very clearly right now. Some of those that I mentioned before, but I think the clearest of the signs is what happens inside, right before an empire types to, an, an empire tends to fall, um, and we're seeing from a civilization perspective within the West, in the U.S. specifically in this case this kind of like breaking the breaking point between people and their governments. Um, and that is becoming an in, in, increasingly clear thing, right? We're talking about like, nobody wants Joe Biden. Nobody wants Nikki Haley, who's like being pushed as the, the right person to be running, you know, for example, um, nobody wants these two people. Nobody cares about these people. Anyone would choose any, like, I think literally they'd choose a plank of wood over those two people, Trump, literally, to be Trump the president. 2024. Well, that, that was that was the idea. But even Vivek, he, he ran out of the, the, the presidential race because of that. Like, yeah, no, no, I mean, guy, Vivek, like, like they would be uh, president. Together, yeah, running mates or, yeah, I know, I, I know exactly what you mean. The only issue that I have with that is that they're actively going against what the popular vote wants. They want Trump. They're silencing Trump. They got him banned from running in Maine. They got him banned from running in Colorado. They're doing anything they can. And that will keep getting that wedge to become bigger and bigger, right? And that's the issue. So I don't know your thoughts, guys, but I feel like that's the biggest sign. It's like just the turmoil that happens internally right before everything breaks. I, uh, I heard something interesting, um, which was one of the signs that an empire is falling or one of, one of the one of the last signs before an empire falls is when the nation itself starts to um, 
muddle or mix the different genders so like men become more womenly like specifically and you have a lot more um yeah. people on the spectrum <laughs> i think um I don't know. I don't remember who said it, but yeah, no, I fully agree with you that we're we're seeing signs. But like Eger, it's like like Eger said, um, it's really a timing matter. Could be could be centuries. Could be I don't know, man. Things move fast nowadays. Maybe we're in a different time where things move real fast. Maybe we're not. Tough to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hard to know for sure. Anyways, guys, we'll wrap up with this. Want to thank everyone uh, for keeping tabs on us for watching through up to this point really really appreciate you guys giving us your attention um we hope that you guys were able to derive some value from this episode uh abu do you want to end it off daniel do you guys want to say any last words before we conclude thank you for having me on it's a pleasure yeah we hope Anytime, to have uh, daniel on more often we want to include uh i think one maybe two more um guests down the road to make for more interesting discussions we're gonna have uh, a special guest coming on in a couple of weeks the only request we would have is to share the video with your uh, acquaintances with your friends whatever it may be if you found benefit uh, we're going to take up this podcast and split it up but sharing the video is the most useful the most helpful thing and the most useful thing so just sharing you don't have to like you don't have to comment just sharing yeah totally sharing agree. is caring <laughs> i was thinking of that too i was thinking of that line <clears throat> Awesome, guys. All right. With that, we'll end off. Take care, guys. Till next time. Assalamu alaikum.